Memories should last a lifetime, but Alzheimer's disease has robbed millions of Americans of their treasured memories. If you have a family history of Alzheimer's disease or are worried about your memory, you can help by joining the NIH-funded AHEAD study. It's aimed at delaying symptoms of Alzheimer's before they appear. Visit aheadstudy.org to learn more. That's aheadstudy.org. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your host from SteelersDepot.com where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora, always lit, talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast, Season 13, Episode 84. He's Dave Bryan. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Thanks for being back with us here this Friday. Steelers Nation just about 48 hours away from Super Bowl 57 between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles. Should be a great game this weekend. Dave, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, I really am uh, really excited about uh, this weekend coming up, sitting back, watching the Super Bowl, uh, pouring over some more film of some of these uh, uh, draft prospects that you guys got to and, and, and girls got to watch out at the uh, Shrine Bowl and the Senior Bowl and starting to get kind of knee deep in into that portion of the offseason as well, too. I don't know about you, but it feels like this. It feels like these last couple of weeks have been dragging along i i don't know uh it probably really does for you, you going out of town and coming back and getting settled and all like that but uh uh the league will crown a new super bowl uh champion on sunday so uh you know gonna gonna be a fun weekend i think a bit later in this show we'll have a senior bowl discussion had our shrine bowl conversation on wednesday so we'll talk to those who attended uh, mobile alabama that is jonathan hytrader tyler wise ross mccorkle and myself you know, Dave, I had written down before, uh, once I got up this morning, a couple things to talk about, some NFL honors conversations, some nice casual radio road type stuff. And then as the news cycle works, uh, the news of the day will apparently be about Deontay Johnson and about a CBS. I don't know. If, calling it a report seems too too generous to the word, but Greg Giannotti of the Boomer and Geo show or CBS Sports uh, were had had their show today on Radio Row, and Giannotti, who used to be a producer, I believe, for Pittsburgh's 93.7 The Fan, shared a, a story, and maybe a fable, depending on uh, what side of the coin you're on, that Deontay Johnson, prior to the Jets game, where we know that Johnson and Trubisky had a verbal altercation at halftime, Trubisky was benched, replaced by Kenny Pickett. Giannotti alleges that uh, prior to the Jets game, Deontay Johnson punched Mitch Trubisky, and that was part of the turmoil and issues that led to the team losing that game and Trubisky's benching and um, Kenny Pickett's NFL debut. Now, Deontay Johnson, that, of course, quickly got back to him as it made its rounds on Twitter, and he's called it fake news and has said that it's a, a lie and did not occur. And Giannotti's claim seems extremely flimsy if you listen to the whole conversation and uh, the things he said to try to uh, back up that claim. So that is the allegation that Deontay Johnson punched Mitch Trubisky. Deontay Johnson denies it. And as of right now, there's really no evidence to support Giannotti's allegation. Right. It sounds like the size of the fish has grown here quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> se several weeks uh, after 
Oh, what week was that? Week three? Uh, week four, I guess week, the lead up to the yeah, week four Jets. Yeah, game. yeah. Uh, none of us believe this, right? <laughs> I don't. Uh, I it, it, it sounds fabricated. And, and how does this kind of stuff, even if there was an ounce of truth to it, not surface way before this? So, uh, you know, uh, you need to side with uh, until we hear otherwise. I think everybody needs to side with Deontay on this. And Giannotti, he might he might want to think about taking to Twitter and and, and clarifying or apologizing or whatever, because. You know, when you get on the national stage like that, especially when you have a sidekick such as uh, Boomer Esiason, uh, this stuff gets circulated, right? I mean, Radio Row, Super Bowl week, and it just, once again, it feels like the size of the fish has grown. That's a great way, a great analogy to, to sum up the situation. My, yeah, my, my barber's sister's uncle's <laughs> uh, niece. Old fish, yeah. Uh, told yeah. me. Uh, and, and literally, Giannotti said he just heard it from a buddy. Who that buddy is, that, that is not the uh, credible thing you want to say when you're on Radio Row with all eyes and ears on you. So obviously, we can't say w- with certainty that it's not true, but there's no reason to believe that it is true in some of the other supporting claims that Giannotti made that this was talked about during week four, was talked about on the airwaves that Johnson punched Trubisky. To my knowledge, and I believe you're in agreement here, no one had ever made that claim. Now, there was the altercation, the verbal argument they got into at halftime, but nothing that bruised on anything physical. Right, right. Uh, there's, And it's sad that we have to spend, you know, had to spend time talking about the initial report before we got on and, and you know, having to write that kind of stuff up. And, and once again, you know, uh, good, good on Deontay. I mean, look, a, a player, though, too, shouldn't have to spend their whole day monitoring their their, their social media to, to shoot down stuff like that. But this is a pretty serious allegation here. You know, oh, it's incredibly serious. And unfortunately, yeah. the allegation or the denial of the allegation probably won't get as much attention as the actual allegation. Right. Never does. Twitter world works. And so unfortunate there. And I do suspect, though, Giannotti will be doing one heck of a backpedal on the uh, airwaves or, or Twitter or both by day's end. Right. Or putting it on somebody else. Well, I was told, you know, but uh, this stuff, this, this kind of, you know, something that serious probably would have surfaced by now had it, if it had been actually true. And if we accept that as true, Johnson would get no punishment for punching the starting quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers at the time. I mean, I find that hard to believe. Right. Once again, it sounds like, uh, man, this fish took off uh, uh, with some growth hormones here. Yeah, really did. All right, let's transition away from that and talk about NFL honors, the uh, big event, the ceremony held last night uh, that crowned the MVP and rookies of the year and all those types of awards. No Steeler winning the award. And of course, the uh, big news there was that Cam Hayward up for the Walter Payton Man of the Year award for the fifth straight season did not win, uh, losing out to Dallas Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott. Now, listen, all all 32 nominees, extremely wor- worthy. It's great to see all of those guys help out the community and, and causes that are near and dear. And Prescott certainly had an emotional story that went along with some of the cancer research and funding and foundation and uh, suicide prevention, you know, things that have impacted his life. And so we're not trying to, uh, you know, knock Prescott and, the, and what he's done at all, but was really hoping. And we had a conversation on Twitter before the, uh, the ceremony really kind of felt like this was going to be the year for Kim Hayward. Unfortunately, not the case. Yeah. And once again, you know, you don't want to 
Yeah, because all 32 are, are, are worthy and all like that for sure. So, you, you know, you don't want to discount and say, well, he didn't deserve to win or anything like that. And that's not, not, not a way uh, to frame this. Uh, I think you just look at it, especially if you're a fan of the Steelers, you really were hoping that Cameron Hayward uh, fit time would be the charm for him. And I got to admit the way he kind of circulated on radio row and you don't know how much maybe somebody knows ahead of this thing, right. Of, of right. who might, might win. Cause obviously some have to pre-record some stuff and, and, you know, that, that like, so I, I, my overall feeling going into last night was, man, I, I think, I think Cam Hayward's going, going to finally win this. And, uh, I, I guess from that aspect, having myself think that he was going to win it, it was a bit of a letdown when he didn't. But once again, I thought Dak's speech and, and everything was absolutely fantastic. And, you know, there's really no losers here, uh, so to speak. And, uh, we'll just, yeah, I'm sure Cam Hayward will be, will continue his great, uh, work in, 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 in Pittsburgh with all the causes that, that he's associated with. And I would expect this same time next year, he'll be a candidate for the Walter Payton man of the year award, you know, uh, for the 2023 season. Yeah. And hopefully one of these days he can win it certainly worthy and deserving of it. And again, you know, Prescott's done a, done a great job, but quarterbacks get all the love. And sometimes you want to see the big defense lineman get some love as well. Some recognition for, for what he's doing. Uh, but this year uh, was not the case. Uh, no other Steelers winning uh, awards, though some received votes. Mika Fitzpatrick picked up a lone third-place vote for Defensive Player of the Year. Mike Tomlin finished 10th in Coach of the Year with a couple of second- and third-place votes. And Kenny Pickett did not receive any first-place votes for Rookie of the Year, but picked up a couple of votes and I think had seven in total. It was uh, Garrett Wilson of the Jets winning Rookie of the Year. So just some some minor footnotes there, but... Minka Tomlin pick it on a couple of ballots this year. Yeah, yeah, and that's all there really is to say about that. Yeah. Uh, not expecting any of those guys to win no, it. Yeah, no, no, finalists. no first place votes for any of them, right? And right. Uh, I think the Minka one was what a third place vote, as you stated. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's nice to be on the list, though. I think. Yeah, some recognition there. So, so there's some no George Pickens uh, rookie of the year votes. I thought maybe he would get something, but ultimately. It does not really matter. Uh, Radio Row has been uh, taking place here, obviously, in the lead up to Super Bowl 57. Uh, you have the big Radio Row with a lot of Steelers players, um, uh, some some paid advertisements, but also some some questions and some conversations. And I think it's been really Cam Hayward, TJ Watt making a ton of media rounds. Um, nothing earth shattering that that any of those guys have said. Uh, TJ Watt was on the Pat McAfee show. I thought actually a really which was the best interview of all of them that TJ did and props to Pat McAfee for being, being able to ask questions that, that, you know, are, aren't repeats of other interviews. Yeah. McAfee does a good job to make those guys feel comfortable. And like TJ, Watt's a funny guy? Like, you know, when you, he, he's a pretty quiet guy, but when he opens up, I mean, he can joke. And I think he's actually got a good personality there. Um, talked about, you know, the, the art of listening and picking up on quarterback cadences, something that kind of started more in 2020 when during the COVID year, there were no fans. You could really listen to the TV tape and hear everything that was happening, all the communication, all the fans are back, still leaning on those types of things and really listening because offenses sometimes will just tell you 
what's going to happen. So some good stories there. I know you got a kick out of the mesh charge comments that Mm -hmm. TJ Watt talked about playing Baltimore, playing Lamar Jackson and the Ravens using that as an effective weapon to try to minimize the quarterback uh, run game uh, aspect of things. So a good interview uh, from TJ Watt and Pat McAfee. Yeah. And I think some of the big takeaways globally for the several, so from the several interviews that he did were uh, really like the progression of, of, of Kenny Pickett, especially late in the season with some of them game winning drives and, you know, kind of how he, uh, they, they have confidence in him, had some uh, very, very uh, uh, highly praised uh, comments circled around, uh, George Pickens, and he's one of those guys that uh, essentially said that I don't know if he understands how good he is uh, when talking to Peter King. He said, it's like, holy cow, some of the things you see in practice, but it's also on top of that, it's the little things like finishing plays, running. He can run for days, uh, uh, T.J. Watt said. So, uh, you know, a lot of positives there, and, and, and I really enjoyed the uh, the listening and you wrote this up and, you know, I don't think it's gotten read quite a bit, but it probably should because it's the kind of stuff that, that doesn't circulate much out there, especially this time of year was, uh, him talking about, you know, being, becoming more of a listener. Yeah. And you know, he shared the story and I was trying to find the clip because you know me, anytime somebody mentions a play specifically, I try to go back and find it. And TJ talked about late in the season, lined up against a, a pair of tight ends and one said to the to the other, are you going or am I going? And TJ said, I guess it's a pass play. I got to change my technique and slide down a little bit. I think I might have found the clip, but it's it's too hard to, to say for sure. Um, but little things like that, again, offenses will often tell you what they're going to do sometimes as they try to figure things out on their own. So those are all just the little things that make TJ Watt the player that TJ Watt is. And I think another little minor takeaway coming out of all these interviews and one on Steeders.com and all like that was uh, even after he returned, you know, he, he was, he was probably never 100% according to him, uh, you know, the rest of the season. And obviously there was that shot. Was it the Colts game took the, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. uh, took the shot to the ribs there. And that probably ouched uh, a little bit you know, for the, for the remainder season. And obviously, you know, he was voted to the pro bowl games, but backed out and just sounded like he, he needed to give his body a little bit of rest uh, overall there. And I think even late, late, he, he's obviously, I think out in Arizona or was yesterday uh, uh, for, uh, cause you know, I think JJ uh, Watt took, took part in the NFL honors thing. And I think uh, TJ was out visiting JJ out there. And I think there's a shot of him, uh, whatever gym, whatever homemade gym situation that JJ Watt uh, has uh, set up out there, which probably is better than any gym. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Homemade gym is probably nicer than Planet Fitness. Yeah. But uh, there was a shot on Instagram that uh, he's uh, probably feeling good enough to, uh, to, to pump at least a little bit of iron or do something around, around those lines. So a uh, uh, good week overall, uh, you know, fun to see TJ Watt make the, make the media rounds, if you will, pumping, I think, Invisalign. And uh, we'll see. I think he's got another interview or two that will probably surface later on today. You know, the question I'd, I'd, I'd ask him, uh, Alex, would be something along the lines of, you know, can you can you talk a little bit about the uh, development that you saw of uh, DeMarvin Leal mm. during his rookie year? I would set it up like that, and then I'd go for the shot of, 
So what's kind of the plan with him? <laughs> <laughs> I see what uh, you're doing. Uh, moving forward there. Is this guy going to be in the uh, in the outside linebacker room? I, I, I would try to pump a little bit of information out of, uh, I, you know, uh, uh, with, 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 with that direction instead of keep asking him questions about Kenny Pickett, you know? Yeah, I think if I hear one more question about how well Kenny Pickett played and progressed, I'm going to scream because <laughs> we get it. Kenny Pickett progressed. They're all excited. Don't have to ask the question every single time you talk to the guy. But, uh, yeah, we'll see if TJ Watt has anything else to say. Uh, Kim Hayward has also done the the media rounds and had his podcast. Again, nothing that's going to you know be headline-type news. Um, seems a little uh, disgruntled at the Pro Bowl and then not making it initially. Obviously became a replacement and alternate for Chris Jones, so he does get the actual Pro Bowl nod. But... You know, talked about how I, you know, the, the claim was that Hayward didn't get sacks and I was getting sacks and really isn't getting the recognition. And I understand that to a degree, but it, it, it's become pretty competitive there with Quinn and Williams and Jeffrey Simmons and Chris Jones. So those guys get sacks too. So I think Cam's being a little, little extra grumpy about that. Yeah, but he did talk about the goalpost moving and, uh, Look, this is. I don't like the goalposts have moved though. What are the, how have the goalposts? Well, he, you know, he's talking about. Uh, you know, they talk about. I'm not a sack guy. The, the famous who was that Bo- Booger McFarland, Booger, I think. Sure. Uh, uh, it's funny how some of this stuff sticks that really doesn't deserve to. Uh, and then, you know, uh, you know. But those, the other guys have gotten sacks. Like Quinn and got right, sacks. Right, Simmons right, got sacks, I, I, got sacks. I'm not trying to use it as a comparative. I think he's sure. just trying to use it as as how the narrative has been slanted against him. True. Yeah, I think, you know, he's been a sack guy and he's been a high pressure guy. And I think Booger, Booger's, Booger's, excuse me, Booger McFarland's comments were were silly and, and, and nonsense at the time. But uh, it's become a really competitive landscape in the AFC. There's some really good interior defense alignment. OK, yeah, I, I agree. And I mean, look, you could have still made a strong argument, though, that, that that Cam should have been on that original selection. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, but glad he at least still got the alternate nod. And that's going to be important for him and the uh, the Hall of Fame. Should mention the Hall of Fame. By the way, there were obviously no Steelers as finalists. Heinz Ward, James Harrison, semi-finalists. Obviously did not make the uh, the finalist list there. But uh, who all got in? Joe Thomas and Zach Thomas. Really defensive-heavy class with Rondé Barber. Um, Ken Riley getting in. Who else got in that I'm I'm blanking on right now? Demarcus Ware. That was good to see him Coriel. Yeah, Don Coriel. I've been I've been waiting for that one for a long time. So I was really ecstatic to 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 see that one happen. Uh, I guess if you're kind of yeah, Joe Cluck. If you're angling from a Steelers perspective, the fact that no wide receivers got in, no Andre Johnson, no Tory Holt, no Reggie Wayne, is not going to uh, boost the already seemingly long odds that that Heinz Ward has to try to get into this thing. As you said, Dave, last night on Twitter, the log jam at receiver continues. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest takeaways here uh o- overall is that the you know none of, none of these wide receivers uh got in this so the the logs stay in place and that you know filtering that on down that's going to continue to impact uh Heinz Ward until some of those logs do get moved off uh of the pile. So uh, yeah, that is one of the biggest takeaways. A couple of jets in there and Darrell Rivas, obviously a, right. a, a, a Pittsburgh uh, uh, product, uh, Aliquippa and all like that. And with Joe Klecko in there, uh, I think the the uh, assumption here is that the Jets will be playing in the uh, 
Pro Bowl game. I mean, a Pro Hall Football of Fame Hall, Hall of Fame game uh, this year, and it'll be interesting. I mean, there's a couple of Cowboys in there. Could we see? But it doesn't seem. When does it seem like the Cowboys played, played in, against Pittsburgh like right, two years ago? Right, right. So it's gonna be interesting to see who they choose as a. Uh, uh, if indeed that's the case there, but uh, boy, Klecko, that goes back to my my younger days there, and obviously Don Coriel and uh, Don uh, Chuck Howley, I think was a little bit before my time. I remember watching Ken Riley uh, play a little bit. Obviously, I remember Zach Thomas and Joe Thomas and Demarcus Ware and all, and and obviously Rondé Barber in Tampa Bay. Mike Tomlin was the defensive backs coach there for several years, so a couple of those guys from that great defense are now in the Pro Football Hall of Fame as well. Yeah, um, the, the thing with Ward is, just to go back to that briefly, because the next two years of receiver class, like first-time eligible receivers, is not very strong. I, I think next year, the top first-time eligible receivers, like Brandon Marshall, who obviously is not going to come anywhere close to the Hall of Fame. And so, hypothetically, theoretically, if a receiver got in this year, a receiver gets in next year, maybe by 2025, Ward would kind of have that pass clear up a little bit. But because there were no receivers getting in this year, and ostensibly, those there's at least three guys ahead of Ward right now. It's going to be a tough pass. Um, and, and for James Harrison, uh, where uh, Demarcus Ware got in, but Freeney and uh, who was the other Jared Allen did not get in. And then Julius Peppers gets added next year. That's going to really muddy the waters for James Harrison's chances. Right. And as we've said a few times, I think you know Ben Roethlisberger might be the next guy in. Right. From, from Looking, the Steelers. Yeah. Uh, maybe Pouncey. Pouncey's not going to be a first ballot guy. I don't think. If he gets in, it's gonna it's gonna be a wait. So yeah, I'm with you on Ben being the next guy getting in. All right, all right. Anything else from uh, Cam Hayward? Did talk about how underrated uh, underrated of a player Cam Sutton is, and so some Cam to Cam love there, and uh, certainly true the versatility that Sutton has, and just had a really good year. And now it's a matter of you know if the Steelers will pay him and how much. I agree. It really feels like uh, you know, and it has been the case. You know, really since closing out the season that Cam Sutton was going to be the high priority one. And some of the things that, I mean, at this point, it would be really surprising, I think, if they don't get Cam Sutton re-signed and more than likely before March 15th. And just again, that number, I still struggle with that. Some, I'm a big Cam Sutton fan. I've loved his progression there. I was a fan of him coming out of Tennessee what number are you trying? If you had to put one number on him, what would it be? I, I what did I say? Around thirteen million, right around in there, and and it is difficult to gauge because uh, because of the guys that we talked about at the top of the soon to be unrestricted free agent cornerback class. You know, I I think globally you have to consider Cam Sutton as being in the top three of those guys, and we know sometimes. The, the outside market gets inflated because of the supply and demand. How in a vacuum, I think his value is less than that. You know, if, 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 if only Pittsburgh had the rights to resign him, you know, but I think outside of that, his, his market value might be a little bit higher. And that's what makes it, it's, it's really the case. I think year annually when it comes to some of these guys. Uh, but, you know, once again, I, 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 you look at the group, uh, 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 you know, on 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 over the cap of the highest paid cornerbacks. There becomes a threshold that I think that the Steelers probably need to meet to to to, to keep him, and I, I think that number is definitely over ten million. Mm-hmm, and uh, I really think it it 
it, the fair amount for both sides might be around 13 million or so. Yeah. And we'll talk about it more. Um, I mean, we, again, we I, just went through the whole list the other day. So there's no sense sure. to regurgitate that. If you miss that, go back a show or two or a go and all like that. Cause I don't have that sitting here in front of me right now, but uh, I think it's, I mean, the, the, the guy's not going to be in anybody's probably top, top 20 cornerbacks in the NFL. Right. If you ask anybody to, to, uh, to, to name them, but within but is that, he going to get paid like one, right. But then there becomes the whole market thing. And then I just go back to, and I don't mean to, to beat a dead horse here. You pay this guy 13, 14 million, and you sit there and say, man, if a cornerback falls at 17 and he's really good, we might take him. And it feels like, you know, you're going to pay Sutton top cornerback money on one hand with the other say, we're still looking for that, that top level cornerback. Yeah. But the tricky part of that is the draft comes long after free agency. <laughs> sure. No, I understand. Uh, but anyway, more, more conversations we'll have uh, later on in the offseason. All right, Dave, let's uh, take a pause here and have our Senior Bowl discussion with Jonathan Heitrader, Tyler Wise, and Ross McCorkle to get their thoughts on everything that happened at last week's Senior Bowl. We'll take a pause and come back. It's Ram season, which means it's time to serve with Ram 1500, Ram 3500, and Ram TRX. Hurry in now for great deals on the trucks that are built to serve. Right now during Ram season, get 10% below MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Ram 1500 Laramie. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. Contact dealer for details. Take retail delivery by 531-23. And welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. And as we mentioned on Wednesday and the top of today's show, we have the Senior Bowl crew who is down in Mobile, Alabama for the 74th edition of the Senior Bowl. Had the Shrine Bowl group on Wednesday. Now we're talking about the senior uh, class here in Mobile, Alabama. We had Jonathan Hytritter, Tyler Wise, and Ross McCorkle. Tyler and Jonathan had been there before. I think you guys know uh, their voice is pretty well. I want to start here with a a new voice to the podcast, but somebody that's been part of the site for a long time, but a first timer down in Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl. That is Ross McCorkle, who did a fantastic job, much better than I did my first time down at the Senior Bowl. Ross, how you doing and how was your uh, Senior Bowl experience? Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I I honestly couldn't have had a better first experience. I'd like to say that I I think I was set up for success being down there with three guys who have been obviously down there before. Uh three guys who are great at what they do. So, definitely uh eased the transition for me into that. Uh, but yeah, overall, just a wonderful experience uh getting to see a lot of those names that I scouted prior to that and and some of the people I'd done draft profiles on going down there. Um so just great overall experience. Yeah, you guys did a fantastic job. Jonathan, um, how are you? You had your wallet still, right? There was a crisis <laughs> for about 24 hours down there where you thought your wallet was gone. And I had no idea how you were getting home, but but you're home safe and sound? I am home safe and sound, <laughs> Alex. So the question was, so I had my wallet that night. And then what I did like that night is what I must have done is after working on some stuff later that night, I put my wallet in the same small pouch that you put your uh, laptop in your book bag. So it was like nowhere near near where I would ever look in terms of, like all the side pockets in terms of, like putting the smaller stuff in. So I was like frantically tearing apart the room at like six o'clock in the morning. Ross is like, what are you doing? I was like, dude, I can't find my wallet anywhere. <laughs> So like I was just like going there. I was calling like basically every single place we've been in the last 24 hours. They're like, we haven't seen it. I was like, man, I don't have my ID. I'm not going to be able to get on the plane. But 
Uh, needless to say, I ended up walking with you guys back from, I think it was like the interviews or whatever on the media breakfast. And I just was like, oh, there's one place in my book that I haven't checked yet. <laughs> so I needless to say, I patted it. I was like, ah, there it is. We're good to go. So. And Tyler, uh, again, great job down there. I know for you and Jonathan, the second time this year felt much more accessible for the media. I'm sure you kind of had that feeling this year was a better product better time to be a media member covering it than last year yeah absolutely uh not having the guys you know they last year they were fenced off pretty good and weren't really able to talk to who we wanted to talk to after practice so um having that openness was definitely a lot better this year as well as just the experience of being able to talk talk to guys and knowing what to ask kind of a lot better than last year uh made for a lot more uh better experience all right, let's get into it. And uh, Dave, do you have any questions off the top? I can ask something, but is there anything that you really wanted to, to start with these guys? Yeah, real quick with uh, Ross. We had sent Ross through, I think, uh, the Scouting Academy uh, ahead of time. Uh, Ross, how, how beneficial uh, was that, uh, having that ahead of time? And, you know, talk about kind of the, the process of, of, I guess, kind of leaning on Alex, Jonathan, and, and, and Tyler. Uh while you were down there. Yeah. So going through the scouting Academy, actually shout out to Tom Mead, who also went through that. I got to pick his brain a little bit before going through it. Um, one of the things that really stuck out to me with the scouting Academy was uh, they, they teach you to see what a player can do. They say anyone can kill a player and, and write off what they can't do, but find what they can do for your team. So that was really the mentality I tried to go into mobile with. Um they also kind of go through each position group module by module and, and you you learn like five traits for that position group. And then there's five traits that are kind of universal to all position groups. So really good foundation for me to build off of. Um, yeah, definitely leaning on these three guys. I'd say the first day, it was definitely a little bit of wide eyed for me. Um, that first day I was doing the trenches. So offense and defensive line, obviously there's more going on with that position group than the rest of the position groups. There's just sheer volume of players way more. Um, so it's definitely the first day. Uh, my head was spinning a little bit, but just talking to these guys and, um, you know, being able to bounce your ideas off somebody just to kind of validate those ideas and, and start to build off of them was really invaluable for me. All right. Uh, sure. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, I was just going to ask kind of a big question off the top. I'll start with Jonathan here. Just give me one or two names that kind of impressed you the most during that entire week at Senior Bowl. I know that uh, you and Ross also stayed for the game, so you kind of had that experience watching that live in person. Uh, just one or two names you know, from the entire week that kind of you know stood out to you above the rest. Um, a couple guys that stood out to me personally. So I did a lot of research and a lot of studying on uh, Minnesota center, John Michael Schmitz during this year, uh, you know, during my, uh, what was it? My uh, players to scout and look for before, before Saturday games and also players that impressed and just keeping up throughout the entire college season. And then being able to see him in person, like, I mean, he came in just a little bit undersized compared to what he was listed at, at 6'4", 320 he was on the Minnesota side. He was like 6'3 and a half, about 308 pounds. So it's like the size was a little bit less than what you were expecting. But at the same time, he was as advertised. He played with that nasty mean streak that you wanted to see in the run game. You and uh, Dave talked about earlier in the previous podcast about him getting out on a screen and actually destroying Mapu on a screen pass. Uh, you just saw that nastiness being able to combo off with uh, the guard up to like the second level. Um, and he also represented himself really well in one-on-ones in terms of pass protection, being able to drop anchor, being able to sit in against the rush. So, I mean, he's a guy that 
definitely, I think is probably center one in this class. But the question is, is like, okay, he's played center, but he also like, I think he played a little bit of tackle and guard in high school. So again, it's like, okay, is this guy like strictly center only, or does he have the opportunity based off of the movement that we've seen him, the strength that he plays with, can he kick outside a little bit to guard and be more of a center guard type of player? So that's a question that I'll ask him again when I see him at the combine, like what are teams talking to you about? He said a little bit, I'll post an interview later uh, about like how he was talking about he'll do whatever, you know, simple, he'll do whatever teams ask him to do. But I'm very interested in him. And then obviously a guy that really stood out to me was, I mean, it's pretty obvious, uh, Keanu Benton, the defensive lineman from Wisconsin. He kind of came in first day, really tore it up. You just saw his athleticism at that size that he has and just having those measurables and just the way that he was able to win with quickness off the snap and being able to utilize his hands as a pass rusher, as well as being able to play some stout run defense. There's plays here and there where other offensive linemen got the better of him just because he kind of was like segmented in his movement. But again, he's still learning how to become a full-time pass rusher, being more of a nose tackle type at Wisconsin. So just that body type and just that athleticism at that size really stood out to me. Uh, Tyler, switching to receivers, I know you focused on them quite a bit, especially the first day of practice. Telling you about Jaden Reed, you know, last year you were all over Christian Watson, one of the first people to really talk about this guy could be, you know, a steal for somebody. And after a, a tough start to his rookie year, came on really strong for Green Bay the second half. Tell me about Reed and maybe other receivers that stuck out to you. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, Jaden Reed was the guy, I mean, before we went down there, I was going through the roster and really wanted to try to find that, you know, Christian Watson uh, this year. Um, and, you know, Jaden Reed pretty much proved me right, I think, uh, from day one. Um, he, he's really kind of a, he's probably one of the best uh, nuanced route runners in the class. Just very um, a veteran guy in that way. I mean, he, he's played for four years in college. Um, originally, he was from Western Michigan um, and it really shined there and then transferred to Michigan State to join his uh, high school quarterback, uh, Peyton Thorne. So it's an interesting story, too. Uh, but yeah, he showed everything that I was really expecting from him in terms of his route running. Uh, but, you know, he, I don't want to even say, you know, he, he did create some good separation one-on-ones, but we always know it's, you know, an offensively slanted drill. Um, Cause I, I really don't even think that's his game. I mean, his game is really trying to catch, really catching those, you know, tight quarter passes. Um, and, you know, he really showed that down there as well with, uh, you know, his deep ball tracking and be able to kind of box out guys um, at, at the catch point. Um, plays much, much bigger than, you know, his, his uh, size measured, the size he measured in at. So that was definitely cool to see. Uh, but he's also just a well-rounded player. You know, he, he really takes pride in his blocking. Um, you know, I saw one one rep, uh, it was a screen pass out to the flat and uh, Michigan receiver uh, Ronnie Bell didn't didn't block anybody. And he, he ran over him and was like showing him how to you know lock up guys, uh, shoulder pads and stuff like that. So just be able to see that leadership um, and, you know, taking pride in something that, you know, a lot of receivers don't it was really cool to see as well. Um, I got to speak to him a little bit as too. Um, really just kind of seemed like, you know, obviously we're only talking to them for a little bit, uh, but at the same time really kind of seemed like a really kind of salt of the earth human, just the way he, he carries himself and, um, is really just kind of dedicated to, to um, just perfecting his craft. So v- really kind of proved everything, uh, you know, got some good confirmation bias down there, if, if nothing else with Jaden Reed. But um, other guys that really st- stuck out to me, um, you know, obviously Michael Wilson was a big, uh, big uh, sh- grower down there, I guess you could say. Uh, really just kind of uh, sh- really showed his, you know, release ability off the line. 
Um, and, you know, he really caught everything, I think, around him. Didn't see him drop anything. And then he got to shine um, in, in this actual senior bowl game as well. Um, the real issue with him is just injuries. Um, he really never really got to put together anything um, at Stanford just because he was constantly injured as well as being part of an offense that really, really didn't do much um, uh, last year. So he, he could be a name that, you know, you see sneak into the at second round. Um, but at the same time, uh, I'd say that it was injuries. I mean, I said second round, I meant day two. Um, but uh, those injuries and stuff definitely is something to, to be worried about. Um, I know, I know, Alex, you really like Dontavion Hicks from, from Virginia as well. And he really popped off that day three when I was watching um, DBs. Uh, he was truly uncoverable. Um, just was his route running was really kind of shocking considering what I saw from day one. Um, to day three, really kind of got comfortable down there um, and w- was catching pretty much everything around him as well. So those would probably be the three. Um, you know, Tank Dell is someone, obviously, too, that a lot of people were super impressed with. Uh, really, really was just creating, you know, you know, I mean, no one was within five yards of him. Um, and just his size is, is so worrisome with being, you know, 163 weighing in down there. And, you know, I talked a little bit about what he wanted to weigh in at the combine. He said 170. Um, but that's one of those things where, I mean, we talked about, it was like, if you, if you couldn't get up to 170 for, for, for this, it's right. a little worrisome about how much weight you can actually put on. And I saw some people saying he plays his playing weights actually in the 150. So just mm-hmm. not sure that's really sustainable in the NFL. Is, uh, is Reed, uh, uh what did he do in, in college primarily slot? Yeah. So, I mean, he, he played all over the field. Um, that's another reason why I'm really, really like him. I mean, he played X, uh, he played outside inside. He was actually primarily, I believe outside. I watched uh, probably eight games and I think he primarily played outside. Um, but at the senior bowl, he primarily played in the slot. So, I mean, he could play all over the field. Um, and that's why, I mean, when I view him, you know, when I'm viewing him through the Steelers lens, um, he would be a guy that you can, you know, he could, you could, he could back up, you know, X, Z, um, or, or, you know, be day one slot starter, um, as well as, you know, a return man. He, I mean, he has a pretty impressive resume, uh, with three punt return touchdowns. Um, uh, so, you know, he could definitely kind of fill in by that punt return role or kick return role from day one for any team. Were those, were those really the two, and you watch a lot of, uh, wide receiver tape and, 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 you know, the nuances and blocking and, you know, a lot of the things you go real deep into were, were those two. Head, you know, head, you know, heads in uh, above everybody else of the group down there in Mobile. Who, who are the two? Uh, you, you were talking about Reed and 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 the Stanford kid. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say. I mean, I feel like this year there wasn't really like a true. I, I would say the probably. I wouldn't say heads and shoulders above anyone. I didn't think it was really tough for any of the guys to truly be like dominant, just because of the quarterbacks really were so inconsistent. Um, so there were, there were guys winning reps, but there was a lot of plays that, you know, just weren't, um, just weren't being completed. So, I mean, there were other standouts as well. I mean, I would say like Trey Tucker had some nice days in the slot. Um, he was another guy that just was, you know, creating separation a good bit. I mean, he, had a, he, they pushed him outside a few times too, which was a little weird for being uh five, five, nine, one eighty seven. But I think they were trying to get him to be like a Calvin Austin type role there. Um, and he has an interesting connection with Mike Tomlin too. Um, he, I guess he is good friends with D- Dino or is it Dino? Is that how you pronounce Dino it? Tom- uh, yeah, yeah. Dino Tomlin? Yeah. yeah. Uh, he is, he is a relationship with Dino just through, uh, combines and, and stuff like that going through high school. So, uh, Tomlin was coming over and helping him, uh, with punt returns the one day. So I went down and asked him about that and 
he was just, uh, I guess, seemed to have a very good relationship with, with Tomlin. Um, the, the other guy uh, was Jonathan Mingo, and I know Ross Ross liked him a lot as well. Um, he's just a guy that, you know, he's, he's not going to create a ton of separation, um, but really thick body um, and just can, you know, he can create separation basically just by, you know, boxing out guys. Um, he can get eaten up a little bit, but if the ball's around him, he has those uh, lobster cracker hands, as you like to say, Dave, um, that will just, you know, take in everything. So um, he, he was definitely someone that would be, be you know he was good um it just can i was looking trying to find the guy that you know would fit in the Steelers room the best mm-hmm. um and if i would say that would definitely be Jaden reed ross to to go back to some of the trench play i, I thought jonathan's mention of john michael schmitz is a great one uh, a big fan of what he did down in mobile what other guys made positive impressions on their you know quote-unquote draft stock whether that's o-line or d-line yeah, the, the first guy that really stuck out to me, and it was a bummer to only get one day out of him uh, in practice, but Dewan Jones out of Ohio State uh, primarily played right tackle in college. Um, it's hard not to look his way. He's on the plus side of 6'8". He's weighed in at 375 pounds, which is 16 pounds heavier than kind of expected. Um, and he's got that massive 89 and a half inch wingspan, which uh, is just ridiculous. Um, and I don't know, is there something above lobster cracker hands? Cause he has 11 and three, eight hands. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, very impressive. And honestly, uh, a lot of people had, I guess, apprehension about him being a mover, being able to move. Um, I, I question how much that matters just cause he's able to land those punches and people really aren't able to get the edge on him. Um, he was able to consistently do that. His use of hands was really good as he was able to independently use those hands. Uh, honestly, if people, if he got those arms locked out and people just stood no chance, they couldn't, there was nothing they could do. Um, they'd be flailing their arms around. It almost looked like a cartoon at times. Um, one matchup with him I was really looking forward to seeing was him versus Isaiah Foskey, one of the better edge rushers invited down to Mobile. The one rep that I got to see uh, was exactly everything I saw with Dewan Jones on tape. He hit him with the snatch and trap, planted Foskey directly on his face. So that was a, a good confirmation of everything that I had I'd watched on tape. Um, I got to speak to Jones a little bit after the first day of practice. Uh, so I do think it was more of a case of probably protecting his draft stock and not participating the rest of the week. I don't think there was an injury because he did speak to the media after the first day and seemed fine. Um, he did mention he, I think he's dropped two or 3% body fat, uh, which it's hard to envision what, how much he possibly weighed <laughs> <laughs> earlier on, but uh, his goal weights to get to back down to 360. So if he can get to that, uh, I think his draft stock will definitely be skyrocketing up. Um, another guy that stood out to me, Zach Pickens, I think he ended up winning, uh, the American team's defensive line practice player of the week. I think that's voted on by the, uh, the offensive line group for the American team. So, um, he definitely had a good day. And that first day I watched him, uh, every time he'd touch an, uh, offensive lineman seemed like they'd be blown back two or three yards. Uh, he's able to generate a lot of power off the snap. Uh, he, he played, I think all, all across the defensive line at South Carolina. He ended up with seven and a half sacks over 120 tackles through four years. He also, his last year started batting, batting a lot of passes down at the line of scrimmage. I think he had four or five of those. Um, 
And I think in the senior bowl game itself, he ended up with a quarterback hit and a few tackles. So I was really impressed by him. And it did look like Mike Tomlin showed interest in both of those two guys, at least on the first day of practice. Uh, I got to ask DeWan Jones about that specifically, and he did confirm Mike Tomlin was giving him pointers and stuff out at practice. Uh, and it sure looked like Tomlin was looking at pickings during some of those drills as well. Some, yeah, so, I, so, okay, real, real, real quick, some of these top uh, tack while we're talking about tackles down here, uh, you obviously had you know a few of them, uh, uh, Darnell Wright, and and, and obviously uh, uh, Dewan Jones out of Ohio State. I think we're probably two of the biggest names. I think the uh, who's the Georgia uh, kid? Warren um, uh, yeah, Warren McClendon. I think someone else uh, being talked about a little bit. Who of these tackles that were down there in Mobile and participated? Uh, a, can you see as bona fide first round guys or and, and additionally, are they, you know, are all of them true tackles? How, you know, a, a guy like Darnell Wright, you know, is he going to be kicked inside? Just kind of talk about the top of the, the tackle class down there as a whole and how many of those guys you think, you know, uh, uh, are, are slam dunk you know, tackles in the NFL and, and really slam dunk first rounders, if any. I'll go ahead and chime in here. Personally, looking at this draft class, I know like with Darnell Wright and Dewan Jones, both of them played primarily right, right tackle and college. I think that, you know, Dewan Jones will definitely get a lot of hype because of his pure size and length. And like those guys, that just gets guys drafted up boards. But I just look at some of the inconsistencies he had in tape because I did a lot of film studying him in 2021. Mm-hmm. He went back to school. Ross did the profile on him in 2022. Me and Ross talked a little bit. And he definitely had improved on a lot of the inconsistencies and uh, technical flaws in his film. But I also was sitting a lot with uh, Ramon Foster, former guard for the Steelers. And we were just watching a little bit Dewan Jones' tape. And he just like, he often drops his head. He often plays with his shoulder pads over his feet. He lunges into blocks a little bit like skilled offensive linemen will get the better of him doing that in the league because like he just needs to realize how big he is and be able to play to that size. That's something that Ramon kept saying to me. So for me personally, like I see him more as a right tackle only kind of player. Should he could he play on the left side? Yes. I don't know in terms of like his overall functional mobility and athleticism, being able to handle the blind side, that's the best thing you want for him. So it being a strictly right tackle only, like I think that he can develop into being a good right tackle, but knowing all the inconsistencies that are currently on his film, I would be more comfortable taking him more somewhere on day two or early day two than having him be a bonafide first round pick. And that kind of goes the same for Darnell, Wright, Just kind of more of that right tackle only that could kick inside the guard. We've heard rumors about, you know, whether or not the Sears would be interested in drafting a guy like Wright to be guards, uh, uh, tackle versatile, um, just seeing how much that he had battled and struggled with a guy like Will McDonald on the edge. Like they went back and forth throughout the week. I think that his film was really, really good from this year against guys like BJ Ojolari, Will Anderson, like he was able to shut those guys out for the most part. But I do question like whether or not he will be able to handle speed uh, as well at the NFL level. So I see a guy like Darnell Wright, kind of similar in the sense of like Tevin Jenkins a couple years ago, which got a lot of love from the Steelers as a big mauler type of right tackle. But, you know, you question overall his pass sets and just being able to be consistent pass protection. So maybe a kick inside to guard would be better for him in his career, like Jenkins has been with the Chicago Bears. So to in long story short, I don't really know if I see a bona fide first round pick at tackle that was down there at the senior bowl, let alone at 17 overall. Obviously, you have guys like, you know, 
Peter Scaronzi, you have guys like, um, what is it, uh, Paris Johnson Jr., and then also Broderick Jones, who will be more in that first-round conversation as well, too. But just from the guys that were down there, I would say they're probably more early to mid-day two options, going to throw in Jalen Duncan, Blake Freeland, Cody Mott, guys like that as well, too. Why Why would Jones, uh, just, just doing some research on him, uh, he's really only a two-year starter, wasn't he? I mean, he, he did play his first two seasons, uh, I think, but and he did play at left tackle. I think something to the tune of 170 total snaps at left tackle during the regular season in those first two two seasons. But I think that was it for him. Why, uh, why do you was that just because the line of talent that they had at Ohio? You would think a guy that size would have you know uh, would have played a little bit more. Any, any any clue as to why? Yeah, so I watched a little bit. Juan Jones when he was a freshman and sophomore at Ohio State and when he was like had to go in at tackle I think it was because of injury to a guy that was above him basically it was a little twofold because it was kind of unnatural for him at left tackle just because he's more like natural at right tackle we kind of talked about you know uh Chukwama Okorafor and Dan Moore and how like we don't want to mess that up in terms of like you know it's like going from left-handed to right-handed throwing a ball or something like that just the way that you pattern a movement so I think that he was just more natural at right tackle playing left tackle for those snaps Yes, he has the size and the frame to do it, but just technically at that age, when he was a freshman, sophomore, he was so raw coming out of high school just because he just bullied everyone because of his size. He still need to learn the nuances of being able to, you know, properly pass that, being able to mirror and pass protection, being able to get his hands and good, have good hand placement. I mean, there's so much film of him just being falling on the ground for his size, and that's something that you just can't see with a tackle that big. And so that's where for him, I think it was a technical issue, just especially in his development because he wasn't technically ready to take the field until like 2021 as a starting right tackle. And then he got, you know, better as the year went on and then went into 2022 as like a solidified right tackle across from Paris Johnson Jr. But I just see like a lot of technical deficiencies in his game, which is probably why like he needed time to develop. And I think he's just more suited for that right tackle job, especially in the NFL when he's going to be teeing off against some of the better pass rushers in the league coming off the blind side. All right. Thanks. Thank you, Alex. Uh, Tyler, tell me about some of the the DBs there. I thought it's a, a really strong cornerback uh, class in particular, not only at the Senior Bowl, but just in general. A lot of underclassmen guys that are seniors that did not attend the Senior Bowl that will be first-round picks in April. But tell me about the guys that were there. I know that, that Caillou Blue Kelly from Stanford in particular really had your attention. Yeah, so I mean, he has an interesting story just with his uh, with his dad being, uh, you know, a former Mike Tomlin player at Tampa Bay. He played under him for about five years. Um, he was a DB for the Buccaneers during that Super Bowl run. Um, so very, you know, that's obviously a really interesting connection with with Tomlin. But that was really the only thing I knew about him going down, to be honest. Um, so you know, he really impressed throughout throughout the week. I mean, he he got his hands on the ball. I think every single day while we were down there. Um, whether it be an interception or, you know, breaking up some passes or, or dropped interceptions. So um, constantly around the ball. And I feel like when you, <laughs> I, I think you mentioned it too, Alex, it's it's rare when you can see a guy, you know, put together three, mm-hmm. three consistent days at practice. So um, that, that was really impressive. I mean, he, he's really great at being able to stick up um, on the offensive uh, at the, at the line of scrimmage and getting in guys faces um, can be physical at, at, you know, getting off the line and then just mirroring from there. Um, that's really his bread and butter um, is in those uh, those press situations. Um, you know, I dove into his tape a little bit after the Senior Bowl. Um, little, he's definitely less confident. You know, off in off coverage um, and in zone. 
Um, so that was really kind of disappointing. Um, and one thing you can't tell the senior bowl is tackling as well. And that's one thing when I dove into his tape after was, was really, really rough, um, mm. on his tape, you know, he, he really, it was honestly got to the point where, you know, through five games or whatever, it was like, it was rare that you saw him make a tackle, um, on, in the open field. So, um, I mean, he's fine when he can come up and, you know, when it's say like a hitch route and, you know, tackling a guy that doesn't see him coming. Um, but other than that, you know, it's, his angles are really bad and really can't get square with guys to bring his legs at all. So um, that was disappointing. Uh, but his coverage ability overall is, is really fun to watch. Um, and like I said, I mean, there, there's definitely something to, to work with there, um, but definitely rougher um, when you turn on the film than, than anything. Um, another guy that really impressed me um, that I'm doing a, a film room right now on is actually Julian Brents. Um, he's another guy, Julius Brents, I'm sorry, uh, from Kansas State. Just a really, uh, really long guy. Uh, I think he, he came in at, uh, I want to say, 6'3", 202. Um, and it shows. I mean, he looks like a monster out there at DB. I mean, you, you can't, you, you, it's rare you can see guys with that length out there. Um, I know we, we kind of mentioned him and the likes of Tariq Woolen last year. Um, obviously doesn't have the the same athletic profile in terms of speed and top end speed as Woolen does. Uh, but, you know, he, he really is a guy that, you know, he can eat up guys off the line of scrimmage with his length um, and, you know, carry guys vertically as well. Um, there was, there was one really uh, cool rep actually with, it was before the, uh, the American team, you know, they, they had really technical kind of, individual periods for about 45 minutes and then they jump into you know a competition period um, where they kind of single out a few few guys um in front of the whole team to really could do like a one-on-one competition um the one practice it was uh it was julius Prince versus jonathan mingo on a go route um you know he's physical off the line carried him carried him deep um and then you know Britt made the pass up uh pass breakup down in the end zone in front of everybody so you know he he's not afraid of the big moments um, but it, w- turning on his tape as well, the one big thing that's really kind of concerning with him is knocking his head around. And even on that rep, he didn't get his head around. He just kind of stuck his hand out there and luckily hit the ball out. Um, that's really, really gets in trouble. Um, once he gets, he gets kind of grabby when the ball's in the air, um, it, because he doesn't have his head around, he, get, he gets a little flustered. So, um, the other thing is, I mean, uh, he, the big 12 really let him play. Um, and I don't think he'll be, get a, be able to get away with the type of, uh, the way he covers with, uh, you know, being so grabby at the top of routes and everything. Uh, so that's definitely something he'll have to clean up. Uh, but in terms of, uh, you know, being a physical cornerback, I mean, they, they were using him at Kansas state pretty much like, um, on, on plays that there weren't receivers outside. He was basically, you know, an edge setting the edge against, you know, pooling guards and, and things wow. like that. Um, you know, he, he's definitely not afraid to, uh, stick his face in the fan and, and, you know, light people up either. So, uh, that part of his game is really exciting, um, for sure. Can, um, can, another guy. No, can sorry. you real quickly expand on you talk about Blue Kelly and his and his zone, uh, the the zone coverage things that 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 strike you on film, and then how is he when it comes to kind of setting the edge and getting things turned back inside against? Does he shy away from from that contact on the edge against the run and, and trying to turn things back in? Yeah, so I mean, in in zone, he just doesn't have the same feel um, as you expect for somebody that has, you know, I think he has over 1200, you know, coverage snaps. Um, um, There's not something that, you know, he doesn't really, you know, drop in the zones that are, that are like, he actually kind of creeps down more so than, you know, seeps back and tries to bait, bait guys. Um, He he creeps down towards line of scrimmage, especially when there's guys in the flat um, and leaves, leaves zone holes in the zone behind him. 
Um, he did it once in the senior bowl game, actually, on a, it was a curl flat concept. He's creeping down on the curl and leaves the, the curl wide open. Um, and there were a few, few instances on tape. They did the same thing. Um, another thing is he, he, he loses kind of, uh, he loses contact with vertical guys. Um, on, when he's in like, say cover three, cover three zone, he, he really kind of gets nosy with his eyes, um, with, you know, underneath routes. Thinking if you think about like, you know, a flood concept where you got, you know, a 12 yard out, um, he, he really kind of gets nosy with the out and loses his vertical, um, responsibility. Um, saw that a few times in mobile as well on tape. Um, there's one instance that I have in my profile, um, of him that it was a fourth and fourth and 19, I believe with under 10 seconds left against Arizona state. Um, and it was exactly that exact concept. It was a flood concept. He got nosy, um, and left the guy wide open. Uh, he made a the receiver made a crazy one handed catch over top of him. Luckily his foot was out of bounds. So it was, you know, turnover on downs, but you know, very easy could have lost the game there for them. Um, because of that. So that it's definitely something worrisome for a guy that's been, you know, a uh, four year starter essentially for Stanford. Um, it, it's kind of curious when those things are going to get ironed out. Um, in, in terms of his, his run support, um, he's really not, I, I mean, it's weird because he's so physical, like off the line and, and, you know, being in, he can be all over a receiver, but it just doesn't translate to um, the run, the run support at all. Um, I really didn't see him throwing his body around much at all. Um, it, I will say he didn't have the same type of reps um, or opportunities that that Brent's did in terms of being around the line of scrimmage and you know, being able to take on uh, going guards and stuff. Um, but he's definitely more so a guy that's going to try, try to, you know, keep contain, uh, f- you know, funnel things back into, you know, your, your safety filling, filling the alley or, you know, linebacker filling the alley. Uh, that's really more his game than really trying to, you know, go up and make any plays. Um, I mean, there were times where, you know, he took an aggressive outside angle just so he didn't have to make contact with, with guys. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of his game is a little disappointing. Um, so, like I said, especially with how physical he was, um, you know, thought he was, um, but just wasn't just didn't carry over to the run game at all. Ross, tell me about the uh, off ball linebackers down there in Mobile. No first round picks, but I thought a really solid group of guys overall that did participate in some combine snubs, to be honest. But Ross, give me your evaluation of the inside linebackers. Yeah, one guy that uh, really stood out to me, at least in terms of the physicality, especially, I mean, there there really weren't that many off ball linebackers that showed the physicality. So it was a breath of fresh air when you saw Aubrey Miller out of Jackson State uh, meeting guys in, you know, in the hole. Uh, providing big pops. Um, he's not really a guy that can cover all that well from what I saw, but uh, the physicality stood out. I mean, even in the in the Senior Bowl game itself, uh, pretty much any time he's making contact, uh, things are going you know forward for him. He doesn't often get pushed back in those situations. Um, Servasier Dennis out of Pitt, that was somebody that uh, stood out to me. I, I watched the off-ball linebackers on the third day. Unfortunately, a lot of those off-ball linebackers were not participating on the third day, so I had a very limited group to look at. But Servasier Dennis, uh, he has that athleticism. He's a little light in the pants. He's six foot, uh, just a hair over six foot. He's 218. Um, so, you know, it, it's a little bit hard to to evaluate the tackling uh, in practice and they're, they're not doing full contact and stuff. So he puts himself in position to make the tackle. Uh, it's hard to really say if he would actually finish the tackle, um, but he impressed me in, in coverage too. He was able to intercept a couple balls in um, some of those running back on linebacker drills out of the backfield there. Uh, another guy, Dayon Henley out of Washington state, kind of similar, but, 
more so uh, the the almost safety type than Servasia Dennis. So Dayon Henley, uh, trying to think like Terrence Garvin, maybe like a, a, I'm not a small linebacker. I'm a big safety type of mm-hmm. situation. Um, What's his projection on where he might go? I know it's super early, but is there a feeling on, is he a day two type of guy? Yeah, honestly, I haven't watched his his tape yet enough to have like a solid readout on that. If I'm sure somebody else here may have a better idea. Uh, yeah, just Jonathan, just, do, you, do you know, have an idea where he's projected? I'm starting to work on Henley's tape right now. And he was a guy that was looking more around that fourth, fifth round range. But just that pure speed, that coverage ability, like having played wide receiver, being able to go from wide receiver defense back to linebacker and just the bump in production he has and just that ability to move sideline to sideline as well as that coverage ability that honestly is probably one of the best coverage linebackers in this class. I think that he will land squarely somewhere on day two. I would say probably more of that third round range. Again, it's just like pick your flavor. Do you want a guy that's more of a run stuffer, kind of like Jack Campbell from Iowa? Do you want a guy that's more like coverage oriented, like Dayon Henley? Like, I mean, you look at the guy, like he's wrapped up like a Greek god, just so he's showing off his six pack. He's really stout. It's again, it's just him wanting to seek that physical contact. And we saw a little bit of that in the actual game. It just wasn't very consistent through practice. But I think just because all the physical tools are there, I think that he's definitely going to be kind of along those lines of like probably a third round pick. And it wouldn't surprise me if someone took a chance on him in the second, kind of similar to uh, Troy Anderson last year from Montana Mm -hmm. State. Very athletic guy, had the ability to cover, but it was just like you could still see that he was still processing because Henley has like he hasn't played linebacker very long. So he's still kind of learning the position. And then scouts are going to really find be enamored with those tools. So I would probably say he's roughly a third round pick right now. And then you could say maybe late second or early fourth from there. Okay, for, 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 for whatever it's worth. And I haven't seen the update since the uh, uh, senior senior bowl yet. But uh, you all know that uh, we, 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 we uh, are able to get a lot of data from from draft scout and the fine work that they do, especially before these events and all like that. They had a projected uh, they have a projected round on Henley out of Washington State prior to the senior bowl as a fifth round pick. Okay. It feels like he's. I mean, from what I saw on on the all on the all twenty two of practices and a little bit of uh, game tape, very little game tape that I've watched on him, it it does feel like he's more of the uh, uh, kind of third fourth round. I would agree with you, Dave. I really would. And yeah, again, he was a former Nevada guy, so right. Yeah, so, but he just had his, his production blow up this year just because he was like the captain of the defense. I actually had an interview with him. I'll try and get that here on Steelers Depot here shortly. But he was just talking about how he wanted to make an impact with Washington State, even only being a one-year guy and how he wanted to be known as that leader of the defense. He wanted to be the signal caller. He wants to be the green dot guy. And like he has a really good head on his shoulders. He's very communicative. He is very much a media type person. So I just think that, you know, with these guys, obviously this past year was like his blow up year, but I just think with that athletic ability and his ability to cover in today's NFL, I think that like, okay, he might not be the most sound or aggressive tackler yet, but I think that's not like, it's a lack of want to, it's more like, okay, he's probably played linebacker like two, two and a half seasons thus far. And he's still trying to get his feet on it. So I think it's going to be very much a developmental thing for him, but I would rather take my chances on him than a guy that's completely capped out and is going to give me like, Robert Spillane project or production, if that makes sense. Ross, go ahead and finish up your thoughts on the inside linebackers. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, Dayon, Dayon Henley, uh, one of those guys who at the combine will likely test very well and, and could possibly push his draft stock up a little bit. 
he also seemed to be one of those vocal uh, vocal leaders on the field. I, I noticed him chirping a lot at the guys. He brought that energy. So something that uh, teams definitely like to see as well. Who 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 was the best off the off the ball? Uh, the three of you, uh, four of you. Who was the best off the ball linebacker that fits inside what the Steelers do down in Mobile? Well, because uh, pace pace really looked seemed to be uh, uh, real physical. Uh, but Hen- you know, uh, uh, the Washington State uh, uh, Henley seemed to be the best coverage guy. Yeah, I think with with Pace, I mean, I thought he did well in some of the backs on backers. Like he's a really good, you know, Steelers type in terms of the off ball blitzing. Pittsburgh does that less than they used to in the the Vince William type days. But is he just too small? Is he going to get? He's not. He's not small. He's short. He's got. He's really rocked up. Big, big lower half. But he's going to get swallowed up in the run game. And overall, how well can he really function in space? It's going to be the question with him. Um, I thought one guy that that I didn't know anything about heading into that week, uh, Marte Mapu from uh, Sacramento State, who got the call up from the NFL PA Bowl. He's kind of playing true off-ball linebacker in Mobile after kind of playing more, I don't know, overhang nickelback in college. And he just made some really you know high-level plays in coverage. So I don't know. You guys can probably answer this better about who the best off-ball linebacker was overall. Jonathan, I'll, I'll let you start. But I just thought there were some guys that, that aren't going to be the first-round household names, but you know, shows the quality depth of this class. Mapu didn't even get a, a combine invite. Did right. He? Yeah. He's, he's one of those snubs. Aubrey Miller too. One of those snubs. Yeah. I was going to say like, just if you're looking at just like the features and like the body types, you know, that's a big thing. When I do, when I first like start like putting in the tape, I would say Henley was a guy that kind of looked at me, right, uh, that flashed at me right away, as well as DeMarvin Overshawn from Texas, just having that, you know, long athletic build, having the background, like Overshawn was a former safety And then you look at Henley, who was a former wide receiver. So they all have that experience playing in space as well, too. And you can sign and see that in their tape. I just completed Overstone's profile. I'll probably I'll be getting getting Henley's done here within the next day. But I mean, we got to go with it. I mean, I mean, uh, Alex and Tyler and Ross were always looking at each other and just always like looking at Mapu. And I would like Tyler to chime in right after this and just being like, he just continued to flash. He continued to flash. Just kind of like, like this safety linebacker hybrid again, weighing in at 217. Not necessarily like, you know, a rocked up inside linebacker. But I mean, he showed a lot of stoutness. I mean, he stonewalled offensive linemen coming in to fill the gap. He made plays in coverage. Like he was just out there balling. And like he, I think Tyler can answer to the interview we've had with him just playing with this huge chip on his shoulder, thinking that nothing's guaranteed. And I guess that chip is going to grow even bigger now that he didn't get a combine invite. Okay, let's yeah, move. Yeah. Go, oh, ahead. Go, ahead, go ahead. Go ahead, Tom. I was going to say, yeah, I mean, day two, I, I got to watch linebackers. And when we were, I was sitting there with Jonathan and Ross just laughing because it, it seemed like every other play, Mapu was doing something. Um, you know, the nine on seven period, that second day of practice was probably honestly the highlight for me um, of the senior bowl, just because, I mean, the pads were popping. Um, and it was always either Aubrey Miller or Mapu. Um, and I mean, he has, he, like you guys said, I mean, he has that, that former safety so he can cover. Um, but he, he said after practice that he really wanted to prove that he can bring that physicality as well. Um, and he was bringing it in the nine on seven. Um, I mean, that's one thing. It's, it's curious to me. Um, I'm not sure exactly why he sat out, you know, day three and uh, the, the, the Saturday. Uh, I want to speculate, but I'm not sure if maybe that, you know, physical style just wasn't really something that is sustainable um, with the way he was throwing his body around at, at 217. Um, so, I mean, that's definitely something to think about um, with him. Um, but if you want to throw your, you know, your wild card um, for somebody that could be the best linebacker, you know, when we look at look back at this um, in a few years, it, it definitely could be Mapu. 
Now it's a question of will Pittsburgh look at a guy from Sacramento, Sacramento State under a new regime? I hadn't done that in the past, but we'll see about it now. Ross, I know you got to go here a bit early in a couple of minutes. Give me um the senior bowls. You know, we see the the guys in the Power Five, guys from Georgia, SEC. You know, the the big schools. Give me a, the, the small school guys. They get the chance to to compete against the big boys and really show that they can play. That the competition concerns really shouldn't be an issue. Um, Cody Mock is one name that Dave and I have talked about, you know, quite a bit, a great story, big personality, but, but him and others, what small school guys seem to really elevate their stock and prove they can play against power five competition. Yeah. I'll, I'll touch on mock just a little bit. Cause I, I just love this guy so much. He's, <laughs> he's got the nasty demeanor on the field, but when you talk to him, uh, in some of the interviews, he's lighthearted and almost kind of goofy demeanor off the field. Uh, I mean, you talk about that long red flowing hair and then unkept red beard, missing two front teeth, <laughs> which, by the way, he could easily get replaced if he wanted to. That's a choice. Uh, <laughs> so he he took every challenge and mobile that was thrown at him in stride. I mean, he, he played uh, every position, I believe. I don't know if he ended up getting all five in the game, but uh, he certainly did play center t- uh, guard and tackle throughout the week. Um, and uh, it just his, his body best fits, trans- his, his best fits guard, right? No, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would say, right. that, yeah. Um, but I mean, just going from a 220 pound tight end to a 305 pound guard over the course of his college career is is uh, kind of insane to think about. Um, he kind of joked about that eating 25 to 30 meals a week, and he didn't really mean to gain that weight. Uh, he just likes eating pasta at the dining hall at uh, North Dakota State. So that was that was pretty funny. But all jokes aside. Uh, he, he really didn't have like a sloppy body, uh, as you might expect from somebody who put on that much weight. Um, he definitely was one of those let the belly breathe kind of guys. And his, mm-hmm. there was no sloppiness yeah. to his belly at all. Um, so, yeah, I, I just really liked his demeanor on the field. Uh, he brought a lot of nastiness and just took everything in stride. So um, North Dakota State, I know it's not necessarily like a, a super small program, but um, got to give a shout out there. Uh, another guy, I'm trying to think of his name from UT Chattanooga. Was it McClendon McCl- Curtis? McClendon Curtis. Yeah, it's not Curtis McClendon. It's it's McClendon Curtis. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's another guy. I think uh, Jonathan Heitroder, when he was talking to Ramon Foster, that's a guy that that Ramon was specifically uh, interested in looking at at camp. Um, yeah, so he he was somebody that stood out to me. He played a little bit of tackle, a little bit of guard. Um, I think Jonathan, you could probably give a little bit more more context on this guy. Yeah, no. So with McClendon Curtis, uh, I was talking to Ramon and just kind of going through some of the prospects, talking about Torrance, talking about Jones, and he's like. You know, some guy that he was talking to because he has ins with UT Chattanooga just because of just being a Tennessee guy, he does ESPN radio in Tennessee. So he was saying, like, you know, the offensive line coach and the head coach at UT Chat was just like, hey, you remember Cole Strange from last year? This is another guy that we need to be able to uh, keep an eye on going forward just because, I mean, he has the body type. He's over six foot five. He's over three, three twenty five pounds. He has a lot of experience playing both left and right tackle. He played a majority of his snaps at guard during his time at the senior bowl. He had some rough reps. I know he gave up a stack. I think it was in the actual game. I can't remember exactly who it was too, but he just has a lot of tools. And I think that just with that size, that demeanor, and he has a lot of play strength as well too. I think that he's a guy that we kind of need to keep an eye on going forward. And I'll be kind of like asking around at the combine, just kind of seeing where his stock is at just because he has that center or he has that guard tackle versatility. Uh, And it's just one of those things where the offensive line coach at UT chat was telling Ramon, it's like, Hey, 
you remember how fast like strange rose up boards last year because like strange looked good last year at the senior bowl i wouldn't say like looked exceptional by any means so but he just made himself a lot better through the pre-draft process and i think curtis just with the measurables that he has and the experience i think he started like anywhere from like 35 to 40 games at either tackle spot in college and is more of a projection inside I think it's the guy that to really keep his eye on just because you don't see those guys with that size, that experience, being able to move inside and play that well. Tyler, any uh, small school guys that we hadn't mentioned that stuck out to you? I know we've already mentioned a couple, but anybody else? Yeah, so, I mean, Isaiah Land from Florida A&M um, was somebody that was was um, really kind of fun to watch just because of day three when uh, the American team didn't have any linebackers left we were kind of curious if they'd be able to play with anybody uh he was you know he's originally an edge um kind of a tweener type uh body type uh but they moved him to off ball and really didn't do do poorly um he even had a few stops in the uh in the senior bowl game actually and then also had a sack um later in the game too beating um the byu tackle off the edge so um definitely a guy that you know he, he's proven that he can you know have that position ver- versatility which is obviously also important for guys um that are likely going to be on the back end of the roster um especially coming from a small school as well um so I, i'm not sure maybe you can speak more to, to his character because i know you had a, a good interview with him yeah, I just had the article, uh, my interview with Isaiah Land go up this morning on Steelers Depot. Really good guy to talk to. Um, didn't start playing football until basically his junior year of high school. 170-pound defensive end, obviously overlooked by basically every college except for uh, Florida A&M. Actually, UT Chattanooga offered him really late, but he already committed to, to A&M. Um, you know, had the COVID year, season canceled, but used that as an opportunity to get better, add weight, and uh, by 2021, became the FCS Defensive Player of the Year with 19 and a half sacks at five against South Carolina State. So, you know, he's tall, he's lanky, probably still has to fill out that frame more. Some questions about could he really hold up on the edge against the run, but a really interesting guy that seems like a good athlete and um, embraced playing off ball. And as you said, Tyler, I thought did a did a pretty good job of it. So, you know, he's a later later round guy, but but a, a lot of intrigue there with him. I've got, uh, th- go ahead, Dave. I've got three players I want some intel on here uh uh out of bawar out of northwestern had a hell of a hell of a great practices on the all 22 especially in in individual one-on-one he's six foot one five eight 284 though uh he moves up i think looking at a little tape on him moved up and down all over the place on the line looks like he can play up and down the line but that the question mark's going to be on the size i think on the measurables with him uh i want what is he what can you do with him uh, uh kind of guy the other two are are uh, unfortunately they had the same name and and it's it's i had to watch tape on one just so i could get them straight uh the <laughs> the, the two byron youngs one is the bigger one out of Alabama at six foot three and three quarters, 297. And the other one is out of Tennessee uh, at six foot two and two eights, I think 248. Uh, the Alabama young looks like more of a true kind of three tech. Uh, the Byron young out of Tennessee. He's going to be asked to drop, I think, in coverage uh, uh, to do edge work. I'm willing to bet at the combine. Uh, but talk about some of y'all jump in and, and talk about those three players, if you will. 
Yeah, I'll go ahead and talk about Adeboware from Northwestern. So with him, I kept seeing like when doing like our aggregate content for the site, I kept seeing him as a projection to the Steelers. And like, so I wanted to watch a little bit of him. And yes, like his film put or steps out or like pops on, on, he pops on film just because of his strength and just especially at his size, his ability to be a gap penetrator, his ability to show strength and being able to anchor at the line of scrimmage, being able to play up and down the line of scrimmage, playing anywhere from like, almost on the shade of like in between the a gap of the guard and the center, as well as being able to play out on the edge. But just like that body type is just so hard to project being six foot one, two eighty four. It's just, it's just not what the Steelers have done in the past. And it's like, when you guys were talking about him earlier, he's not a similar player. He's more brute strength than what DeMarvin Leal is. But Leal is kind of that, tweener as well too it's like okay what is he and I think with Adeboare he's more of a guy that you're going to play inside as like a three tech four eye just because he has the strength to be able to handle that again it's just like does those measurables matter to the Steelers I mean because he has pretty good arm length from my understanding just being able to like hold it out like yeah he has 34 inch arms so he's able to extend being able to play there with leverage but again is that body type is that short frame something that the Steelers would be interested in at that position the two Byron Youngs uh I did I think of Byron Young uh the, from Alabama I did a film room on him during the season definitely kind of more of that traditional you know four three defensive tackle three four defensive end he shows a lot of like uh he has a lot of like athleticism and in terms of like he's twitchy for that size kind of almost a similar like mold as like Fedarian Mathis last year just because it's kind of like that trend that Bama looks for in their defensive linemen um he doesn't have a whole lot of sack production but you do see that pass rush upside uh he's usually pretty stout against the run and being able to set an anchor there and being able to take on blocks and being able to uh, stack and shed and get off blocks there. I think he's definitely going to be probably more, you could maybe see him sneak into day two. I'm just going to say he's probably more of that fourth, fifth round guy. Starts out as kind of a developmental defensive lineman. I think he's going to be a stouter version of kind of like what Isaiah Loudermilk is, just given his size, and then is able to develop maybe into a rotational role where he sees more snaps that way. And then uh, the Byron Young from Tennessee, he is fun to watch. Like he has a lot of speed coming off the edge. He plays 100 miles an hour every rep. Like you saw him just being able to throw his body around, especially against the run, staying at 248, but going up against 300-pound offensive tackles and just giving everything that they possibly can at him. Uh, But, yeah, I really liked what I saw from him. The thing is, he's just an older prospect. I think he's going to be 24, maybe going on 25. So just in general, he needs to be able to – uh, work a little bit more in on his pass rush, and just the age is going to be a big thing. Is he going to be an a- edge? Yes, D- uh, Byron Young will be from Tennessee. Will be an edge. Okay, all right. Uh, Ross, I know you got to get out of here in just a second, so I'm going to let you have any any final thoughts here on the Senior Bowl. Any other players you wanted to talk about, or just your experience being your first time uh, covering the event? And Ross, did we see uh, pick number seven? Any of these guys qualify maybe to be pick seventeen at the Senior Bowl? Hmm. Uh, yeah, the top end talent here at the senior bowl this year was, uh, the, I don't know, as far as first round goes at 17, maybe more, more in play at that 32 pick, um, somebody like, you know, Dewan Jones or somebody, uh, one of these, one of these, uh, linemen that was standing out here at the senior bowl could p- potentially be in play at 32. I don't know if I necessarily see any of these guys going at 17. Okay. Um, but yeah, just overall, I mean, thank you guys so much for for the opportunity down there. Uh, I honestly, at the time of my life, I some, whoever was tracking along on Twitter, uh, we didn't know this going down there, but Mardi Gras happened, um, so we got to participate <laughs> in that a little bit. So much fun. Uh, 
Yeah, so much fun. Uh, Jonathan and I got to experience that, and and there was a free Nelly concert, which was uh, I didn't even know that's what I needed, but I needed it. It was it was super fun. Um, so yeah, just just thank you guys, Rockstar Group down there, and you know I hope to go back in the future. Absolutely, we're definitely gonna uh, have you back there. So uh, appreciate all the work you did. A fantastic job with the uh, practice reports and the player profiles you're doing right now, and the interviews. Um, kind of wrapping things up here. Generally wanted to go just about an hour um, recapping the senior bowl. Really good conversation. Tyler, any, any final thoughts, any other players you wanted to mention? How about something on Sidney Brown from Illinois? I think that's a guy that you and I liked and watched and was really competitive in some of those one V ones, even against tight ends that tower over him. Um, that's a guy that I thought was consistently good throughout the week. I, and real quick, Alex, I, and before we, maybe we lose Ross, I don't know if he dropped off yet or not. Yeah, I think he did. Uh, okay. Uh, as, as you guys answer these questions here to close out, uh, three guys, and I did this with the Shrine Bowl group, name me three guys that you could really see uh, the Steelers drafting that, that, that you watched at the Senior Bowl. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Alex, I mean, you, you read my mind with Sidney Brown. That's exactly who I was I was thinking of uh, talking about. So, yeah, I mean, he's a really intriguing player. I mean, he's a playmaker. Um, I believe he has like uh, six six interceptions last year, which was uh, second in the nation. Um, interesting story, too. I mean, he came I mean, he, he came down here with his, his uh, twin brother, uh, Chase Brown's running back here for the national team as well um, from Canada. Uh, just really overall um, speaking to him too, just really, you know, into the game type of guy. You can tell he, he definitely bangs the tape uh, and it really just kind of uh, is constantly kind of critiquing himself um, overall. I mean, yeah, I mean, you spoke to it. His coverage ability was, was definitely flashing. Um, he was all over the field um, day three. Um, you know, there, there were numerous breakups where he was playing through guys' hands. Um, you know, he's only 5'10", 213, but at the same time he was covering, you know, I mean, six, five, six, six tight ends and not having any issue with them um, just because he was pl- so well being patient with the ball in the air, not not panicking um, and then just playing through their hands to, you know, break the ball loose uh, towards the end of the rep. So that was really impressive um, as well as I mean, he made some diving breakups as well across the middle of the field um, against them, too. So, I mean. Really, really um, a guy that, you know, Illinois is kind of becoming that, you know, DBU type uh, territory here with Witherspoon. Uh, Kirby Joseph was down senior bowl last year, really impressed and had a good year with the Lions as well. Um, so adding Sidney Brown to that group. Um, and there was another Illinois DB that, that impressed down here too. Uh, was it uh, Jertavius? Was that? Um, yeah, Martin. Anyone? George Davis Martin. Yeah, I, I didn't get to see him, um, you know, day three, the way day I watched, he sat out, but I heard his first two days were good, too. So, um, you know, definitely coming that DBU territory for Illinois, which is a little surprising. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's he's another guy that has that rocked up body was was kind of, uh, you know, flashing his six pack, you know, with his, his jersey tucked up underneath his jersey and everything, too. So definitely a guy to look out for that's probably sitting in that, you know, uh, third round category right now. Um, that if you need a, a guy that, you know, can come down and play the run um, as well as, you know, uh, if you need him to play center field, it can do that as well. So definitely a guy to, to keep tabs on. Um, and what was the question again, Dave, that you mentioned? I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, three, three guys there that you think could wind up, you know, being being uh, Steeler draft picks. Yeah, so I'll call back to the guys, you know, I talked about before. I mean, Jaden Reed, I think, fits into that receiver room. Uh, the way it's currently, you know, you, you're looking at the Steelers receiver room, you have, you know, Deontay Johnson's going to be your X, no doubt. Um, Pickens is going to be your Z, no doubt. So those are your top two guys for sure. So you know, you got to round out the rest of the room. Um, Steven Sims, 
Gunner, Gunner Olszewski obviously are not locks to be on this roster. I would say they're more special teams guys than anything. Um, and then you got Calvin Austin, who's mainly a question mark. We're not really sure where he's going to play. We assume the slot. Um, but, you know, he played outside a good the senior bowl last year, too. So um, we're not really sure exactly what we're going to get with him. Um, and then you got Miles Boykin, who's, again, your special teams gunner. Hopefully he, he – I guess he's technically not on the team right now. Uh, but hopefully he gets returned back and is, is that, you know, back end of roster guy. So what you need there, in my opinion, is a guy that can play basically every, everywhere. Um, so Jaden Reed definitely kind of fits that where you could technically be your, your day one slot um, if you wanted to be, if he beats out Calvin Austin, um, but also going to be, you know, a return man um, and a guy that, you know, can be that blocker in the slot that we, the Steelers really haven't had um, since, since Juju left. So, um, I mean, Gunner, Gunner threw some good blocks in there, and so did Chase Claypool. Uh, but Chase Claypool, I mean, we we had he had, he had more bad blocks than, than solid ones. So, uh, so Jane Reed definitely be that guy you could get in there, and you know, if you need him to play outside, he definitely can, but also can play in the slot. So, uh, the other guy, I mean, definitely would be a calling back to to, uh, to Brent. I mean, it's hard to see a guy that you know has that plays that physicality, and you know, the Steelers love guys um, that that play with that you know chip on their shoulder on the outside. Uh, really could kind of call back to, you know, an Ike Taylor um, in, in my mind with the way he plays. Uh, really has that length. Um, I mean, it's more length than Taylor did, yeah, but uh, and Taylor had a little bit more speed. Uh, but overall, I kind of see them as, you know, that that physical type player that that can can really kind of eat up guys. Um, and, and third, I mean, Darnell Wright. I mean, I didn't get to watch the uh, offensive line too, too much, but just I know the the mean streak he has. I mean, that's the type of players. The, the, all those guys with the mean streaks are. I feel like the that's kind of where the Steelers kind of getting back to playing with the you know the extra kind of bully mentality. Um, so those are the types of players I'm kind of circling on my rosters when I when I'm looking at looking at guys. And Darnell Wright definitely fits the bill there. Um, and it, I mean, if you see him as you know a plug and play starter, um, either at guard. Uh, I guess guard would most likely be where they see him if they do see him as a day one starter. I don't see, I don't have an issue with taking him at 17. Um, and, you know, he is a, a guy that, you know, maybe down the road, you do kind of bump him out again. But I mean, uh, if there was anybody, uh, it would be at 17, it would definitely be that Osiris Torrance or, or Darnell Wright at this point. Jonathan? Uh, yeah, Jonathan, you're, you're three guys. Yeah, so I'll go ahead and start out with Keanu Ben, the defensive lineman from Wisconsin. That's kind of a base. That's kind of easy to tell. All your just fits the system. He has the length. He plays in the system that's very similar. He has basically everything that you're looking for. Having conversations, we've all had conversations with him. Basically saying, yeah, Mike Tomlin's talked to him, watched him a lot of practice, saying he's on their radar. It just makes a lot of sense being that mid-round, probably either second or third round defensive lineman, just depending on how he tests, being that guy to target if they don't address defensive line earlier in the draft. Uh, another guy that you've talked a little bit about, Alex, and that I did a profile on, Derek Hall, the li- outside linebacker, edge rusher from Auburn. He just has everything that you kind of look for in terms of a Pittsburgh Steelers edge rusher. He's built really well, being just under six foot three, two 252 pounds. He has 34 and 3 eighths inch arms and nearly wow. inch hands. I mean, you could see him and his arms getting like toward his knees. He's a very stout, strong uh, run defender. He does really well in terms of setting a physical edge. And with, as a pass rusher, he just wins with brute strength in terms of his bull rush, but he also has some bend around the edge as well, too, with a speed rush. He needs to develop a little bit more ham usage, and he tends to be going 100 miles an hour. So if you get him on bootlegs or play actions or stuff like that, he tends to bite a little bit. But again, it's like one of those things where you'd rather say whoa than sick him. 
And he's one of those guys that kind of fit that to a T. I projected him to have a little bit of like a late first round grade. So obviously probably not in play there at 17, but you know, 32, 48. I know a lot of people would be like, okay, that's too high for an edge rusher. But again, for this team that needs to be able to have good edge rush depth and be able to rotate guys and keep guys fresh. I think Derek Hall makes a lot of sense if they want to put a premium on that position, kind of seeing like what the Eagles have done, adding defensive line depth to a championship roster. Last guy that I talked to, and I didn't really even mean to talk to him, honestly, because I was trying to talk to his teammate, Zach Pickens from South Carolina, but Darius Rush, the cornerback from South Carolina, had a very good week overall. Like there's some times where he kind of looked like he was kind of out of it in terms of like just guessing, but just coming in, being six foot one and five eights, 196 pounds, having nearly 33 inch arms. Uh, the question was with him and he kept reiterating, like, I want to prove to people that I'm fast. I want to prove to people that I have good speed. He clocked the best speed of any practice of any player with a 21.65 miles an hour based off their zebra technologies. And he made multiple plays. I think he had like two or three picks throughout the week. And yeah, he just has that size. He has that willingness. He has that experience on special teams. He just kind of matches what the Pittsburgh Steelers would look for in a middle-round cornerback should they not uh, address the position early with, like, a first-round pick. He's definitely more of a developmental guy, but his coverage, like, analytics are pretty good when it comes to pro football focus in terms of this, like, comparison to his teammate in Cam Smith at South Carolina, who's also projected a first-round pick. So I think third, fourth round range, especially if he runs well and jumps out of the gym at the combine. I definitely think he's made himself a lot of money and just his overall personality and how he carries himself and wants to be able to talk to people. And it's just very outgoing. I definitely see him being a fit for the Steelers. Yeah. Uh, Was, think- uh, you, did you, uh, did, uh, if you had to be forced uh, to make a decision right now, did you see the number 17 pick for the Steelers at the senior bowl? No, not a chance. I, okay. came in, I came in liking guys like Osiris Torrance and whatnot, but I was kind of underwhelmed by his overall performance. A lot of other draft analysts are saying that he had a great week. I really didn't see it, especially at the first few days of practice. So I would probably say I'd be looking, looking more toward like an underclassman or a person that was not in attendance there. Uh, Alex and, and, uh, and Tyler, where do, you, where do you both weigh in on what, what he just said about uh, Torrance? Yeah, I think for me, you know, he's got the size. Pittsburgh likes their guards big, and it was good to see Torrance actually drop a bit of weight. I think he was listed like 350, came in 337. I mean, you know, he's a guy that, you know, duo blocks, man blocks, is going to create movement. But what I noticed, at least the one day that I really focused on in on O-line, D-line was anytime he has to start sliding laterally in pass protection, he gets top heavy, starts bending at the waist, and you wonder if he's going to be able to sustain those blocks. And so is he the guy that I would take at 17? It's still pretty early for me, but but probably not. And I think just to echo the conversation, I mentioned this as well. I didn't see the number 17 pick in mobile uh, last week. Tyler. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I could see, like I said, it, obviously we, we, we aren't in the room to know, but I mean, if they see them as, you know, the day one starter that could, you know, push out a Kevin Dodson, I could see it. Uh, but, you know, when you look at, you know, uh, who the Steelers have drafted in, you know, internal offensive linemen in the first round, what it's David DeCastro and, and Marquise Pouncey um, are the two names that bring to mind. And when you when you look at those guys playing, I I don't see that um, personally. Um, so, I mean, it, I think there's definitely more depth in the class. You can get, you know, internal offensive linemen um, deeper in the class. Um, so hopefully, hopefully if they do go that route um they, they kind of wait on it and you know at, at 17 i'm really looking for a, a top end cornerback so that's really what i'm hoping for i'll lay that out there right now um so I, and that in that way i would that that guy was not at senior at the senior bowl i'll say that 
One guy also to keep in mind uh, for a possibly interior offensive lineman that could be drafted later on. We talked a little bit about Darnell Wright uh, kicking inside. Another guy that I watched a little bit, Matthew Bergeron from Syracuse. Great size, nearly 6'5", 323, nearly 34-inch arms. I think that he had a lot of good reps at tackle. He just struggles a little bit in pass protection in terms of setting the edge. I think that if he kicked into guard, he would actually be a very, very good fit at guard. I had a good conversation with him at the Senior Bowl. I hope to do a draft profile here soon for the site. Yeah, I we think, both, wait, oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say Tyler Steen, I thought as well. I, I thought the interior class, is, uh, particularly at guard, John Michael uh, Schmitz at center, but at guard, I thought was really strong and mobile. And so it's a good year uh, to me to need a guard. Now, I really liked Ekior, too, from Alabama, and he can play all three spots um, across off the internal offensive line. And I, I thought he saw a good bit of reps where he was getting up to the second level um, when I was watching the linebackers um, on, on day two there that he showed a lot about getting up to the second level and he was eating up some of those guys in some of the reps. So uh, definitely some depth there in terms of the uh, internal offensive line. What Dave, was there, yeah, one final question. Was there one or two guys that, and it's too bad Ross still ain't on here. Uh, were there one or two guys that you guys had the most kind of away from the stadium practices conversation about uh, sitting around at night where, where you guys were maybe the most conflicted about? I don't, I don't want to say arguments, but was there one or two guys that, that, that would cause controversy coming out of senior bowl with, 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 with the evaluation of you guys. Well, we, I did get into a fight. We were, I was swinging at Tyler wise. Over yeah, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm going to need some video of that. They're <laughs> all much bigger than I am. I don't know if there was one guy we were debating all that much. I mean, you guys have any ideas about anybody we kind of felt was, was polarizing. That's a good word. I'm trying to think. Um, yeah, I don't know if there was, one guy in particular. Okay. I mean, there's some obviously discussion about Torrance and as Jonathan said, some people around the other, you know, media sites and other draft Knicks probably thought he had a better week than, than we did. I, I, I do think, you know, I'm a big fan of Benton and I was talking about him pretty early in this process, but I don't want to overhype the guy. And I think we have to talk about, and I know you guys did a bit as well uh, on this podcast, but Zach Pickens from South Carolina has that similar, the body type's a little bit different, but just in terms of checking the boxes and the height, weight, length, and, uh, you know, power five experience, I, I don't want to get so hyper-focused on Benton that we don't talk about somebody like Zach Pickens, who I think, as Jonathan mentioned, you know, Pittsburgh seemed to have some level of interest in because he fits that type as well. Captain yes. too, right? Yeah, with Pickens, it's just kind of like he definitely fits more along the lines of like, I would say, you know, Benton can be more of like that 3-4 defenseman, that 3-tech mm-hmm. four Pickens can play that, but he's also very stout. Like while he only weighs 300 pounds, like he kind of body type reminds me a lot of Tyson Alualu. And at just this point where you're not going to move him off the ball, he has very strong, powerful hands. He shocks back offensive linemen right away. And honestly, if I had a fourth guy, when I was going to say I could really see him being a stealer, I know Ross would have done the exact same thing if he was still on the pod. But with him, I do see him being that guy. If like Pittsburgh doesn't address like nose tackle early or something, I think like third, fourth round range, that's when you can consider Pickens just because of the power that he plays with. He has pass rush upside. He is going to be able to play the first two downs and then be able to stay in occasionally like Alu Alu did on third downs as well too. And I just think with that power, that strength, that size, I definitely see him also being a very good fit for their system. All right. I think it's going to wrap things up. You guys did a tremendous job and Ross as well. And um, I, I think it was a better experience for you guys this year, just because there was some more media access and, you know, being able to talk to more players and, and have more interviews um, made things felt uh, for me, at least better than where it was a year ago. So 
Really appreciate you guys. Uh, Jonathan, Tyler, we'll have you guys on for sure uh, around draft season, either right before the draft or or right after the draft. I know we kind of do a big draft uh, roundtable right around April, so I'm sure you guys will be on for that. So thank you again for everything you guys did last week. Awesome job. I learned I learned so much from, from all you guys uh, because, once again, hyper-focused on covering the Steelers until the season actually ends, and then you know, in, in try, try to start getting into learning a lot of these names and getting into the tape slowly. And you can't, you, you try to force feed yourself as much as you can, but there's only so many hours in the day. And it's good to have, uh, you know, trusted eyes and ears uh, like you guys. So just from my own selfish, uh, you know, what I gained from it, uh, I, I couldn't be prouder of you guys down there. Thank you very much. Yeah, and thanks for having us. We're excited to uh, excited to go down next year, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was a great experience. Definitely better than getting rained on that Wednesday practice like last year, for sure. We got burned on the first day of practice, but that's okay. That's just kind of us adjusting to it. But it was a great opportunity, great time. I look forward to doing it again. All right, thank you, guys. We'll take a quick break and come back with the rest of the podcast. And welcome back to the Terrible Podcast. And again, our special thanks to Jonathan Hytrader, Tyler Wise, and Ross McCorkle for their insight and their hard work. I know the Senior Bowl are some long days and late nights and early mornings, um, but they all did a fantastic job and uh, really excited for them to hopefully go back next year. I tell you, and uh, you guys did a tremendous job, as I stated, and it's so fun. I get so much joy out of you know, Ross McCorkle, first time down there, really kind of new to what we have him doing on the site now as well, too. And he's been with Steeders Depot for several years, obviously does the, the Depot 180 videos and works on some other uh, side projects for us. And, and kind of a, uh, a same but different story with, with, with uh, uh, Joe Clark you know, who's now mm-hmm. a uh, full-time guy uh, on, on the site there. Sometimes you you don't know what you got, right? <laughs> and, and, and I think he's developed so quickly. You know, so we talk about sending him to the scouting academy, and uh, it just sounds like to me he really meshed in real good with you quote-unquote veterans uh, down there and uh, just so, so proud of the work uh, that, that, that he put in down there yeah yeah he is our rookie of the year uh, when it comes to the uh, the senior bowl though but i uh, know him joe clark the other uh joe c joe camaruto um all did a fantastic job for their first time out and I believe we'll be sending two more guys to the combine that'll take place later this month early march and so the draft coverage continues on steelers depot all right all right dave uh we want to make our picks here for the big game super bowl 57 this sunday between the kansas city chiefs and philadelphia eagles but before we do that let's hear from our friends over at my bookie yeah alex you asked for it and they listened my bookie designed a unique deposit bonus that lets you cash in and cash out quick this is a unique deposit bonus for sports bettors who want to focus on what to bet and not a payout and not a payout sweat make your first deposit today with promo code terrible at mybookie.ag wager your deposit amount once and you're eligible to cash out after that if you want a sports book that gives you the most for your money bet on the big game with my bookie pregame live lines 
and Super Bowl props. Bet everything from the opening coin toss, the length of the national anthem, to the color of the Gatorade dumped on the winning coach. I can't tell you exactly who's going to win the Super Bowl, but I can tell you where I'm placing my bets, and that's my bookie. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie, and man, do they have, uh, you know, as is usual the case, especially with them, uh, they have the prop bets out there this year. Yeah, I'm sure they have a ton of them. We can probably go through a couple if you want a little bit later in the show. But before we do that, let's make our picks for the game. Again, Chiefs, Eagles, the line. I think it's held one, steady. One and a half. One and a half at my bookie. Eagles favored by one and a half. And it does seem like it's uh, stayed uh, you know, about the same, really, since uh, since it kind of first hit after the conference champion games there. The over and under for the game is 51 but uh, as we sit here on this Friday, Eagles laying a point and a half against the Chiefs. I'm going to make you go first here and pick this one for the Super Bowl, the final game of the year. Who do you have? Chiefs, Eagles, and why, Dave? Yeah, this is very uh, uh, looking at this thing, and I, I had a terrible take about this the other day. Obviously, two former Steelers uh, 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 playing in this game, and Javon Hargrave for the Eagles, and Juju Smith-Schuster uh, for the Chiefs. Uh, looking at it, that end is no disrespect to, to, to Javon Hargrave whatsoever, because awesome uh, player with the Steelers hated, absolutely hated to see him go uh, via unrestricted free agency a couple years ago. My heart though, Alex, I, 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 my heart's rooting for Juju to, to be <laughs> part, part of, uh, uh, and I'm sure I'll ruffle, ruffle a few feathers with that comment there, but my heart, and I, I, I really like Patrick Mahomes too, uh, as well. Uh, my heart I feel is going to be with the chiefs on this, but looking at this game and trying to break it down, uh, I look at adjusted net yards for passing attempt, especially on a defensive side of football. Uh, I think the Eagles defense top to bottom is better than the Chiefs defense. Uh, I think they'll be able to do a little bit uh, a better job of getting after the quarterback. And let's not forget that Patrick Mahomes probably to some degree is still hobbled uh, by that 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 ankle injury. Uh, the Chiefs just all around. I think there might even be a bug going. I think I read something where there might be some sort of a bug maybe going through that uh, locker room as well now, too. Uh, they I, I think they had to put Miko Harmon on IR. I know Juju's expected to play in this game, but I, I don't think he's 100 percent uh as well i think the eagles will try to focus on maybe trade taking you know stopping the running game and uh initially and then obviously uh, uh giving a lot of attention to a guy like travis kelsey i think that'll be a defensive game plan on top of just trying to get after the quarterback with only four guys up front i think the eagles offensive line man what a what a group uh they have uh, as much respect as I want to give Patrick Mahomes in this thing and his ability to make plays and all like that. Once again, I, 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 I've flip-flopped uh, multiple times since the championship games, but when it comes down to it, I told myself I was going to trust the defensive adjusted net yards for passing attempt stat. That's where I'd like land on this thing. Uh, give me the Eagles to cover the, the, the point and a half. I'm going to say, 27 24 in this one. Okay. 27-24 Eagles. That's your prediction? That's my prediction. What about MVP? Give me the MVP for the Eagles. Yeah, that's that uh man that uh that that's that's I haven't really thought about that. I don't know. There's part of me that thinks Hassan Reddick might 
might be Ooh. able to make, make a huge impact. And I know there's some longer odds uh, on that as well, too, there. So, uh, but uh, something tells me that that this time maybe it won't be a quarterback uh, in this. So I'm, I, I'll go out layer here and go uh, uh, Hassan Reddick making, making several big plays. That guy was a monster, go, you know, uh, several times throughout the season and obviously in the playoffs as well, too. I like it. You got to be careful with that bug language because Greg Giannotti might say the juju mm. punch Patrick Mahomes stand. If <laughs> you got to be careful with that, um, I really wrestle with this Red, one. Reddick uh, plus uh, plus three thousand. There, there's there's obviously uh, when it comes to odds of winning Super Bowl MVP, uh, Mahomes mm. is a favorite, uh, slight favorite ahead of Jalen Hurts, and then it goes Travis Kelsey, AJ Brown, Miles Sanders, Devontae Smith, uh, and then Hassan. Uh, Reddick at, at plus 3000. So, you know, if you, and that's all my bookie.ag odds as well, too. Uh, so, you know, but if you're looking at something that, that with a nice little payoff there, uh, you know, kind of a middle of a road kind of selection, it would be Hazan Reddick at plus 3000. Yeah, that's a good number for him. I, I like where your head is at. Yeah, I, I wrestle with this one because I feel like everybody this week is on the Eagles. Like we're all talking about, you know, the O line, the D line. And it's still for me so hard to instinctively bet against Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. These guys just find ways and read with more time to game plan. They're opening strip what they do in the low red zone. They just know how to finish drives. It's, it's really incredible. But my, my gut's been telling me to go Eagles because of that pass rush, pass rush, 70 sacks this year for the Eagles defense, even in the 17 game season, an incredible number. And that Chiefs offensive line, while it's better than where it was, I think back to that Super Bowl loss against Tampa Bay where Mahomes was running for his life the entire game. I think the Chiefs tackle still have some concern. They're stronger down the middle with Humphrey and, and Thune, but that tackle, Lander Brown Jr. to me is overrated and uh, Wiley at right tackle, not that strong. And if the Eagles can can run the ball, control the clock, keep patching Mahomes off the field, that's going to be critical. So I have the Eagles winning this one like you do, Dave. 24 21 and i'm going very chalk here with my mvp of jalen hurts okay all right so you have uh you have the under then right i i would have what i said 27 24 what did i say the uh over under uh, uh i think it's right at 51 so i think you're you're pushing yeah i would uh, yeah uh according to that i'm gonna have to buy a half a point in there somewhere uh <laughs> let's see uh uh, let's go over quickly some of these uh, props. Uh, main Super Bowl MVP Super Bowl props. Well, I just lost it here. Okay, yeah. here, 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 here they are, real go quick. Uh, team to have the first coaches challenge: Eagles or Chiefs? Yeah, I don't know how people bet on this stuff. Like, how do you how do you reason? Because because we're I mean, degenerates, Alex. <laughs> that, that's how you do it. Sure, I I'll guess. Eagles. Sirianni has an early challenge. I'll go the other way. I'll go Chiefs. Super Bowl largest lead of the game under 14 and a half points or over 14 and a half points. Will the lead by one team be over or under 14 and a half points? Biggest That's a big- surprisingly big number. What does what what Vegas know that we don't know right now? I, I got to take the under on that one. Yeah, I'll take the under on that along with you. Last team to score Eagles or Chiefs? I got the Eagles winning. Not that they have to be the last team that scores, but I'll say Eagles. I'll say Chiefs have to kick a field goal, then, I don't know, onside kick or something like that. So I'll go Chiefs on that. Uh, Successful two-point conversion in this game, yes or no? 
Ooh, interesting one. I got 24-21, so probably not. Then I'll say no. I'll go no as well, too. First team to score, Eagles or Chiefs? I'll say Chiefs with their opening script. Uh, I'll go Eagles. Uh, let's see here. First scoring play, an Eagles touchdown, a Chiefs touchdown, a Chiefs field goal, an Eagles field goal, a Chiefs safety or an Eagles safety. We'll say I got 21, so I guess it's hard for me to say field goal. So I'll go Chiefs touchdown. I'll go Chiefs touchdown. Uh, first scoring. Let's see if there's one more unique one. Heads or tails, Alex? Tails never fails. I'll go heads. Uh, will will there be a will there be a safety in this game? No. And let's go. Uh, first team to call a timeout. Chiefs or Eagles? <laughs> Again, I just wonder what is the rationale. How do you predict this one? I'll say Eagles. I'll go Chiefs on that one. That's just uh, that we're just scratching the surface there. Uh, <laughs> all these uh, Super Bowl props can be found at mybookie.ag as well, too. All right. So it should be a good game. Excited for this one. Um, we're, I know we're running long here on the show today. So let's just do a real quick uh, one or two read e- reader emails and close out today's show. Uh, let's see here. Sort them down real quick here. College prospects. Uh, Grant Kinney says, I've been listening since 2014, so it seems I have only missed four years of coverage. I love every aspect of the podcast inside, especially during the offseason with prospect prospects. My wife thinks I have to be one of your biggest fans. A couple of quick things. Dave should absolutely write that book about the cast. Yes. He says, I would read it and give it to anyone who has questions about the cap. You explain it very well, even with your stuttering. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Uh, This is more of a request than a question. But when mentioning a prospect's name and about them, it would be super helpful to say the school they go to and at the end where you think they will be drafted. You do this for most of them, but sometimes I get lost when listening because I don't know if this is a high-level prospect or a name that I might see in the seventh round. Uh, our apologies there. We'll try to make a more concerted effort of mention the player's school. As far as players, where they might go early in the process, as we learn more and more about these guys, it's so, so hard to, to loosely throw out there uh, with that kind of stuff. But uh, we'll, 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 we'll try to do that a little bit more as we go along. He says, what are some names on day two or day three prospects in the trenches that would fit the Steelers and could potentially be starters in a year or two, man. I mean, that, 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 that mock kid, I, you know, I don't know if he's going to end up on the Steelers, but he would be a guy, uh, you know, round two, round three, something somewhere around in there that it could potentially see in the trenches being a starter. Uh, Kiana Benton's another one, right, Alex? Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 that would fit that once, once you get throw out a few more names out there, guys in the trenches that, that could fit the Steelers and potentially be starters in a year or two. Yeah, it's a lot of guys that we just talked about uh, on the Senior Bowl uh, roundtable, and that's kind of where my focus has been so far. Benton, um, you know, John Michael Schmitz at 32 makes a lot of sense. I could see him, though, being a late first-round guy. as always that offensive lineman that kind of sneaks in late in the first round. So, uh, But that's one to consider. The interior offensive line is strong overall with Tyler Steen, uh, Steen and um, McClendon Curtis, we talked about defensively. I think Zach Pickens is a name that should get more consideration as well. I know Benton's been the guy kind of driving the discussion by myself included, but Zach Pickens has that body type a little bit different than Benton, a little bit skinnier Felter, um, but has the length and size and pedigree that Pittsburgh looks for. So that's just kind of a rough way uh, to look at it right now. 
All right, uh, let's see if I got maybe one more in here we can get to. Appreciate that nice email there, uh, Grant. Certainly, certainly appreciate that. Uh, uh, Justin Huffman says, this is definitely more of a Dave question. What is a major benefit of contract restructures and voidable year ex extensions for teams like the Steelers who are not immediate title contenders? He says, I get that those moves kick more of the contracts into future years. And that future year money is worth less than current year money due to presumably increasing salary cap each year. And that such moves are worthwhile for teams going for it and trying to win a title, essentially borrowing money from future years to try to win a title right now, like the Steelers did in Ben's last two years. He says, but does it really make sense to restructure the Minka TJ contracts to use that money in 2023 for the Steelers? I don't really see uh, the 2023 ceiling as much more than making the playoffs and maybe winning a wild card round game. So why wouldn't it make sense to bite the bullet now, take your lumps, but be more loaded with cap space in the future as the new young core develops, uh, Justin and Syracuse. Uh, I understand the gist of what you just, just, just uh, asked there, Justin. Uh, for starters, I will tell you that the global answer in this, if the Steelers, if Omar Khan was to have to answer this question, uh, he would say because, and, and if Art Rooney were to answer, he says we think that every given year we have we can do things necessary uh, to compete for a Super Bowl. I think that would be the global reason response from those guys. We do this stuff because we think we can put together a team that could compete for a Super Bowl. Uh, uh, number, number two, look, they, you know, because of the cap situation, we'll see how many, uh, 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 salary cap casualties there are in these, you know, before March 15th and, you know, Mitch Trubisky and miles Jack and some of those guys that, that there's going to be a lot of discussion about moving forward, uh, with, they're probably going to have to restructure some of these, as I said, in my solo podcast to, to, to have room at some point to handle some of these other expenses that come long after the start of the new league year in, 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 in March, you know, the, uh, the in season cap space, the draft class offset, the practice squad, the 52nd and 53rd player, uh, kind of stuff uh, like that, uh, that that stuff that does not need to be accounted for now, but will before week one of the regular season. Uh, and also, look, you have, you know, several of these 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 unrestricted guys you're going to have to you're, you're, you're probably going to try to resign and, you know, how many outside for it. So, you know, the whole restructure thing, especially when Mika and TJ might have to be done regardless. Right. Yeah, as we've kind of walked through, um, it probably will happen. Now, Pittsburgh doesn't typically go to the extreme of the voidable years and really go all in, except for the COVID year, where obviously the cap dropped and teams really had to to adjust unexpectedly. Um, but, you know, to hear and to kind of to your point, what Art Rooney said, what this philosophy for this franchise is, is that they're never going to really have that true all-in approach the way that the Rams did a couple years back because the, the price you pay for that is there's going to be some some pain once you get past that all-in type window, which again is what the Rams are experiencing right now. So Pittsburgh is very much the slow and steady wins the race, but restructuring is a tool that essentially every team in the NFL does, and it's a way to kick the can down the road with the anticipation that the cap's going to go up, which it will continue to do, and that will alleviate some of the, the can kicking. 
Uh, I was compiling a, a list uh, yesterday of uh, guys that were kind of what you'd consider uh, uh, cap casualties over the last several years here. And, you know, not surprisingly, the list every you know, middle of March or around that time is, 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 is slow. I mean, is, is, is low, uh, short turn, uh, go back to last off season, terminated the contracts of Joe Schobert and Zach Banner. I think those were kind of globally what we kind of predicted would happen there. Uh, let's see, terminated the contract of Vince Williams. The, the, I think the, the March before that, uh, the season before that, I think was, uh, Mark Barron, Anthony Chicklo, and Johnny Holton uh, were, were, were the mid-March uh, kind of uh, casualties there. And you go back to 2018, William Gay, Mike Mitchell, and Robert Golden. So I guess in you know, where, where am I going with this is don't, don't expect that list to be very long <laughs> once again uh, of, of cap casualties. Now, Steven Nelson was one, too, in that COVID year, right? That was after the start of the new league mm. year, though, and that was after he got on Twitter and claimed to be a, a a hostage and not a volunteer, right? Right. But it felt like that was done to an, to a degree for cap-saving purposes. I forget the whole details about that, but but fair point there. Now but, we it know was, that, but it was after the start of the right, new league year. Fair. fair. Um, now, we know William Jackson will be one. I'm still interested in Trubisky because you hear all the beat writers, the media members talk. Jeremy Fowler of ESPN speaking, I think, yesterday saying is basically implying that he can't see Trubisky staying at that number. But then you you, you uh, com- comport and combat that with what Art Rooney said about expecting Trubisky to be here. You know, I, I still don't quite know what to make of that. I think it's just a lot of speculation, though, right? And didn't Jeremy Fowler kind of really sound as much? I mean, uh, you think? Yeah, he really, but I really wonder if anything? It, I wonder if it's kind of that informed speculation of I really can't say this. It's not on the record, but I mean, he's in the know. He covered the Pittsburgh beat for a long time, and it's not just him; it's some other guys as well. I don't know. And obviously, what Art Rooney says would, would seem to carry the strongest amount of weight when the team president, the owner, is is saying we expect this guy to be a Steeler next year, but. Um, you, there are certainly benefits and justifications to releasing Trubisky and prior to Rooney saying that we kind of was, was leaning towards, he's going to be gone. So still watching that situation, of course. Right. But, uh, overall, I mean, the, let, let, let's take it from like, I don't know, after March 1st, uh, up until March 15th, you would expect, uh, that list of cap casualties to be three or fewer. Yes, really. It's probably going to be two at max three because it's going to be William Jackson. That's we know that's one one of Trubisky or Miles Jack and then maybe Witherspoon. I still think they hold on to Witherspoon, but I know you're kind of in the other direction on that. Yeah, uh, I mean, look, it, it wouldn't kill. You could obviously still cut him down the road after the fact and all like that. And he, he you know, his cap number of uh, you know, what, what you would save is lower than that of Mitch Trubisky uh, and or um, uh, 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 Miles Jack. But uh, I still think, you know, people are out here trying to cut six, seven people and Gunnar Olszewski and, you know, along those lines. It's going to be mostly centered around those those main names that we've talked about being William Jackson, the uh, third uh, uh, Mitch Trubisky, uh, Miles Jack and and Akella Wittes. But I, I really I would think those would would be the four that have uh, the chances of being pre March 15th cuts. Right. And I think they're going to choose two of those names. I think two of those names, Jackson being one, and then one of the other three will get on the chopping block. 
Okay, we've run a little bit long here, but I think it was I think it was worth it. I I could have kept you guys on another hour uh, <laughs> talking talking uh, senior bowl stuff, and we will have those guys back on at at later dates, along with you know uh, Shrine. Uh, we're gonna have uh, Owen on Wednesday, Alex. Uh, you don't know that yet. Uh, uh, Are you I, here for that? Yeah. What's your situation for next week? Uh, I will be gone on Thursday, right? Or okay, so you're here for Monday and Wednesday. Uh, let me look at the calendar here real quick. Uh, I leave on, maybe we'll record. Hmm. That's maybe, maybe it'll be you and Owen. How about that? Uh, we'll have to see. Uh, I leave that Wednesday on the, on the 15th though. I didn't check that. So maybe I'll have to get with Owen on that. We'll figure something out. Maybe, maybe just you and Owen. You know? Yeah, I, I know I already talked to Josh Carney and he'll fill in a bit as well. So maybe it'll be me, Josh Owen. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure that, it out. That but, would, but, that, you know, probably less of me uh, uh, might be better. <laughs> no, no. But you'll be on Monday, right? You're coming back Monday. Yeah, yeah but okay. uh, uh, maybe tentatively a podcast with uh, you, Owen, and, and and Josh Carney talking about more, more Shrine Bowl stuff and particularly picking Owen's uh, uh, head about uh, the defensive backs. Yeah, that sounds good. We'll figure it out. But uh, for now, we know that uh, Dave and I will return on Monday and we'll take it from there. All right. Uh, in the meantime, enjoy the Super Bowl, everybody. You can follow me on Twitter at Steeders Depot. Uh, follow the show at Terrible Podcast. Email the show, theterriblepodcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do and want to donate to the cause, steedersdepot.com, hit the donate button up right navigational bar. Also, if you like an ad free version of the site, SteedersDepot.com, hit the ad-free button, upright, navigational bar uh, as well. So uh, I don't think I missed anything. So in the meantime, we will see you on Monday. As always, thanks for listening to the Terrible Podcast with Dave and Alex. 